Welcome to episode 93 of the Grip Strip Podcast, and welcome to 2022. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, this is the IndyCar season recap and whatever else we're going to talk about tonight here, uh, how crazy this New Year has already been so far. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. Happy New Year, brother. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Phil. It's uh, great to be back for the new year. Uh, another new year of racing coming up uh, later in the year, of course. Well, we still have football right now. Uh, last week, uh, week 18 of the NFL season and then the playoffs and everything. And then um, all of the rest of the things that will happen this year. So uh, great to start off uh, this year and you know, glad to be on for the show to talk about it. Yeah, season three, uh, officially uh, second full year of the show. We've been growing, especially in the last few months with the Formula One content we've had, and uh, we are going to continue to do that. We'll talk about Formula One a little bit tonight, but mostly we'll be focused on the 2021 IndyCar season and give initial uh, thoughts about 2022. Of course, we'll get into it more uh, a couple months' time when the IndyCars come back full-time at St. Pete. Uh, Josh may end up being able to go there. Uh, it's one of the big races they have on the calendar. Um, we'll get into all the things that uh, took place in regards to the season. Uh, Alex Pillow, uh going and winning a championship in his first year for Chip Ganassi and likely cementing himself as the face of the IndyCar program uh, once Scott Dixon eventually retires in about 25 years. Um, another guy that may never retire is Jimmy Johnson. And we'll talk about him, the rookies from last year and the rookies for this year. We'll, um, get into the new school versus old school battle, uh, Polo and Pato Colton. Uh, you have new garden who's in between, who was the young gun. Now he's a veteran and has championships. And then of course, Scott Dixon, Elio Castro dash Neves and his win at Indy what that meant for the sport and all kinds of things that came from that uh driver and tv changes of course james hinchcliffe quit uh indycar driving to be the lead analyst for nbc and they're gonna have more races on nbc than ever before with the new tv package because sn doesn't exist anymore as of january 1st who needs to step it up this season who is somebody over the last year or maybe last few years that struggled or has not been as consistent and needs to step it up or what could possibly surprise and then initial expectations for our um the new rookie class a very strong healthy rookie class in 2022 and uh championship uh, given it's two months away we're not making predictions we're just thinking about who will be there i think a lot of people we mentioned earlier would probably be the initial people we'd think about but we'll see uh, we'll talk about f1 any news and stuff that's come up um probably talk about logan Sargent f2 f3 uh, nascar uh, some announcements on the crew chief side and uh some other things of course um with the anniversary of the white supremacist uh white uh, domestic terrorist anniversary for um their event last year um one sponsor in particular that just got um canceled out by nascar uh ironically we'll get into that maybe in a for a little for a minute uh we'll talk about the rolex 24 and the deep deep field there's going to be especially in the gtd category in general not just the regular am category but now the pro category and how deep the field is going to be 
good prototype field as well, considering there's going to be three different prototype classes again this year. The LMP2 and LMP3 field is healthy. Um, it's going to be a very, uh, uh, one of the uh, biggest fields of the Rolex, I think, since the Grand Am uh, takeover or whatever back in like oh, in the early 2000s. Uh, so now that it is IMSA again and all, I think it's cool to see. And with the new uh, LMDH coming along next year, hopefully we'll see even more um, next year at this time, talking about Porsche and some of the other manufacturers that will be around. Uh, Dakar Rally is going on, of course. Uh, get into that briefly. Uh, the Americans are struggling a little bit, but... Uh, uh, there are pe- good American riders and drivers. Uh, we'll get into the NFL. Uh, my Niners have a chance at the playoffs. Somehow or another, they're not locked in, but the team behind them is. And they could be knocked out by a team that doesn't have a quarterback. Um, but if they can beat the LA Rams on Sunday afternoon, they make the playoffs for the second time in Kyle Shanahan's head coaching career. Second, Only a second time he's had a winning record. Trey Lance. Did a solid job last week uh, in in relief of Garoppolo. Uh, we'll talk about that, and we'll also talk about uh, Josh's Jacksonville Jaguars and the plight of their team without a coach. The rudderless ship that is Jacksonville. Khan is a clown, <laughs> and it fits something that I saw earlier on uh, the great legendary Pat McAfee show. Um, which, of course, Josh is already aware of. We'll talk about that. I'm going to let him rant uh, because this is the last week you'll have to talk about it until the draft when they are in the top five and they'll be picking somebody hopefully good. As long as it's not Trent Balky making that pick, I think they'll pick somebody good. I mean, it's pretty hard to whiff on the number one pick. I mean, it's happened before, and I don't blame – I do not blame Trevor Lawrence – this is a disaster, um, yeah. but he has to play with. And he doesn't have his best player, James Robinson, because he got jacked up, and now he's not going to be around for like a year plus. Um, the wide receiver core is is basically a smorgasbord of fuck. Um, and the tight ends, uh, I don't know. Like, your offensive line barely exists. Yeah, it's, it's not just good. A, It's not a good offense. You're basically, Trevor Lawrence is trying not to get killed. And when you're playing against... And also when you're playing against Belichick last week, I mean, you knew that was not going to be pretty and it wasn't. So we'll get into that. Josh will uh, start 2022. Tell us about stuff on the iRacing and Sim side and we'll close her up. So, uh, yeah, let's start this deal. Uh, the IndyCar season, I mean, obviously there's other shows that do IndyCars exclusively. Um, there's Formula One shows exclusively. We do everything or as much as we can. Uh, but we spent a lot of time on the IndyCar series last year, man, and uh, it was such a great year. A lot of new faces that finally got into victory lane, surprising um, turns of events in regards to certain drivers, but no one more surprising than Alex Pillow getting in the 10 car and being the first guy since uh, Dario Franchitti to really be able to hold up his end of the bargain against Scott Dixon, who's one of the greatest drivers of all time. And not only do that, but go and beat all these guys and win an IndyCar championship in only his second full season on on the grid. And first season for Chip Ganassi Racing. And I'm, I mean, to, to think that, you know, the Alex Pillow hired was kind of, people were wondering maybe, maybe was that a little too early? Was he ready for that spot? He had proven himself at 
in the um, you know formula the uh, what do you call super formula but it used to be formula nippon championship uh, running up front there but then he ran a year with coin had some good runs but i don't know if we really thought that alex polo was going to be what he was in 2021 i don't think I mean, we, I think we said the same thing in, when he won at Barber. And we were like, wow, like, where did that come from? But little, little do we know, he basically did that the whole year. And to be fair, he won four races, and he probably could have won six. Um, he had a couple of un, unfortunate ins, instances which made the points closer. But he was the best guy through the entire year, and he earned that championship. It was, it was pretty darn good and it reminded me of the days of dario and uh dario and uh scott together when they would basically it was them and penske when it was the old in irl with the delara toilets and the honda engines whatever uh, how good they were but yeah alex polo man uh spain has an indycar champion and he's pretty young and he's got a lot of youth and or he's got a lot of vigor and 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 love for life and racing and i think it the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, not Scott Dixon, but his teammate. But Alex Pillow, uh has been uh, a really good driver in uh, 2021, of course, winning the championship. And yeah, like you said, he kind of came out of nowhere, um, starting out first race at Chip Ganassi, going out and winning the race. And he kind of showed flashes of his uh, potential uh, in 2020 with, um, with his previous team, which was Dale Coin racing with Team Go. So that was a, a tough year in 2020, but then came to Chip Ganassi and then right after that wins and uh, sets the tone for what the season is going to be like. Uh, he had a lot of chances uh, throughout the year to win races. Uh, Could have uh, won at Road America and maybe even at Indianapolis Road Course the second time. Had a chance to win the Indianapolis 500, but ultimately um, comes away winning the most important rate um, thing of the season. The championship uh, wins the final race at Long Beach, or uh, I don't know. I'm forgetting now. Did he? Did he win at Long Beach? Um, Colton won at Long yeah, Beach, yeah, but, but uh, yeah. Alex Pillow finished top five, which is what he needed. Yeah. Okay. That's that's correct. Yeah. I'm looking at it here, my mistake. But yeah, he had a, a great season and uh, yeah, came out of nowhere. Um, kept the championship in house at Chip Ganassi Racing you know, with uh, Scott Dixon being the 2020 champion. Uh, there, you know, didn't have the best season for him, but teammate uh, Alex Pillow was able to go and win that one. Um, you had. Uh, Alex Pillow winning at uh, Barber, winning at uh, winning, um, looking at yeah, winning up at Barber. Then uh, won had the pole at Texas, the first race. Um, then he won at Road. You know, okay, so he didn't win at Road America. That was Joseph Newgarden that uh, had yeah, that. He had a yeah. chance at at Road America in his rookie year, and it's funny you talk about Texas. That was his debut in 2020 after pandemic started and they yeah. had delayed it and i think he and rena's vk crashed about 10 8 10 laps into that race right and so to go a year later in a ganassi car put it on pole uh it, it tells you the progression in the car i guess and the confidence he had built being that was like only his like fifth or sixth old fifth time he'd been on an oval too yeah and then also winning at uh portland 
first race of Portland since 2019, uh, the IndyCar series. And that was kind of a, a rough race too. Um, not for him, but, um, that was, a had a lot of challenges to overcome in that one, um, and ends up coming out on top and then of course ends up winning the championship. So, uh, a lot of, a lot of things that he did well, um, and cer- certainly showed a lot of pace, uh, throughout, uh, the season. Um, did get kind of close to the end, but then ultimately he was able to uh, keep it uh, in-house in Chip Ganassi racing and talk about some of the obstacles he had to overcome. I mean, go back to the race at uh, at Gateway, had that crash uh, and got taken out with his teammate as well in that accident and uh, made the championship a little bit close. Paddle Award didn't win, but finished second in uh, Gateway, but Alex Pillow uh, still able to overcome that uh, and and then come out on top of the championship. So, uh, and then of course responded by winning the next race at Portland. Uh, so yeah, a lot of pace for Alex Pillow. We'll look to see if he's able to uh, be able to defend his championship next year. Of course, going to have a lot of challenge from Paddle Award, probably going to have challenge from Colton Herta uh, and possibly even his own teammate and Scott Dixon. Yeah, there's, I mean, this year, I mean, he won three, my fault on the, it says he finished fourth, but then you go and bring it up. I'm looking at it, the report itself on Long Beach, and they're saying he finished, uh, was it, it said he finished 10th, or no, that's qualifying. So yeah, he did finish fourth. Yeah, okay. I looked at qualifying. Yeah, he finished fourth behind Herta, Newgarden, Dixon. Um, So he did what he had to do there. He was uber consistent, just like Scott Dixon has been for all them six championships he has. I mean, he had, what is this, eight podium finishes, and then you add, um, you know, another couple of 10 top fives. I mean, that's that's really, really, really good. And, of course, Indy is double points. So you look at the guys he was around, Joseph Newgarden finished 12th in the 500. Scott Dixon finished 17th in the 500. The only one that actually had a decent finish in that race was Pato Award amongst his championship rivals. So that's that's as much to do with it as anything. And he also had he didn't have the best run of the group. I mean he was I think his average was the worst out of the four at Texas, but he still finished in the top ten in both races while, you know, like New Garden had a fourth place average, Pato Award had a second place average, and what is it, two point five for Scott Dixon with one win there. Um and then of course, I mean you talked about Pato Award there, Josh, and I think the next piece is there. You know, we call we, we the the Alex Pillow progression from year one to year two, of course, making a big step up in equipment, uh, of course, and being in the big team with Ganassi is one thing. But I think another team that made that step forward and another driver that for many years has been considered one of the best talents, open wheel talents uh, in America, Paddle Award, um, full you know disclosure of my own being a mark aside, the guy is a beast. And uh, he carried McLaren, Arrow, Spam, whatever the hell uh, you want to call them. Now they're just McLaren. But um, two new heights. Uh, that team had never been up there, really. And last year, uh, Pato really took them up there and made gave Chevy that second team that they've been looking for. They've only had Penske for all these years. Now, this McLaren team with Pato Awards legitimate, and who knows what 
Ed Carpenter's team can do with the right funding and Renas VK, um, who we'll talk about uh, probably a little bit later. And then his rivalry with Colton Herta for many years uh, with Pat Award. Those two guys have driven each other and they drive 10 tenths all the time. And Colton Herta, if the dude ever could be consistent, is scary. Uh, when he puts it on pole, he usually puts it on pole by a lot and he usually dominates races. But either weird, if he doesn't win the race, weird crap happens. See Nashville. Um, I mean, he was like two hours away probably from being a Formula One driver this year. Um, or whatever, a few hours away from being a Formula One driver this year, but instead he's gonna be in an Indy car at least for another couple of years, unless something weird happens in Formula One, um, because nobody's gonna enter with that ridiculous entrance fee that you have to pay. Um, I think that rivalry is an interesting one, at least. I mean, if they had, I mean, it's funny how people are talking about how PR, IndyCar PR is horrible and they don't promote their drivers and all that. And it's been bad for God knows how many years. And they've ran through all kinds of people, including uh, beat reporters that have covered the sport for years, still hasn't improved. Um, and they have that spot as a media content. I forget what the job title is, but they have it out there. PR director up there um, of it as a job uh opening uh so if you listen to the show and you love indie cars i mean i love indie cars i probably should apply for it but i wouldn't probably get a sniff uh, the reality is you should um it's a the pat the fan base is passionate um, and they need to promote these guys but i to me as a journalist but also a big time fan that rivalry you need to market the crap out of that those two guys have pushed each other for many years, and especially in Indy Lights. Um, the narrative went over to Colton because he's American and all the other bullshit comes with him. He reminds me of Max Verstappen, honestly. Um, but Pato's really effing good. And I think those two guys can definitely give uh, Alex Pillow, Scott Dixon, Newgarden, whoever else you want to add into the mix, a real run for their money this year, given the right circumstances, Josh. Yeah, definitely. With Colton Herta, um, has a, a chance to go out and correct what he did in 2021. 20, uh, um, he won a lot of races, but, uh, you know, he didn't, um, he wasn't very consistent at all. And I think, you know, he's the one guy we talk about people who can improve. And I mean, I circle him as one of the drivers that could uh, potentially turn his, you know, season around from 2021 going to 2022 even though he was one of the most winningest drivers in the series he um you know wasn't uh as successful as he could have been and you know he had three wins five podiums and three poles certainly i i saw witness of that at uh st petersburg um he was way fast uh there had a lot of speed at uh, laguna seca and at long beach probably should have won nashville and should have won uh gateway as well uh had both races uh, very fast cars race winning cars so definitely he's a guy that i look at as somebody who can uh, turn around um i think scott dixon possibly even though he was contending for the championship only one run race at uh, texas and still had five podiums but he only had one pole uh in fairness alex pole only had one pole either um uh, but or as well but i think um Getting him back to being, uh, you know, more consistent in the championship, I think, has got to be a focus on the number nine team to be uh, a little bit more competitive to uh, the number ten. And Alex Blow, uh, I think, another guy, uh, Simon pa uh, Simon Pagano, he's uh, had a 
down year in 2021, finished eighth losses right at Penske and moved over to Mike Shank, taking over number 60 from uh, Jack Harvey. So I think he's a guy that was going to be teammate with uh, Elio Castroneves making his return full time. So I think, you know, Simon Pagano got a chance to uh, maybe reestablish himself in the series. Um, get maybe be back to what his championship form was back in 2016, uh, 2019 as well, winning the Indy 500 there and kind of slid like we thought he'd be solid at Penske, but uh, ended up falling out uh, of the race. Um, I, I skipped over what you said uh, just uh, a few minutes ago with because uh, I thought you went with. Um, I was the, talking yeah. about Pato and, and yeah. Colton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apologies, but no, it's um with with uh Pato, I think you know, going back to uh last year in 2021, you know, he had a pretty successful year, and you could kind of see it in 2020. Um, I noticed it at Iowa, and you know, going back to uh that race in 2020, he had a really fast race car there, and and then 2021, of course, he won at Detroit, uh, won at Texas, and we we thought maybe there like they would be able to challenge more for the championship. And then, yeah, in, in, uh, you know, 20, uh, 2022, he's got a chance to become uh, greater uh, than when he was last year. Um, if he can you know put together a better season than what he did in 2021. So I think McLaren as a whole, they also have to improve um, because Felix Rosenquist uh, didn't really do anything. I mean, of course he had that accident as well at the Detroit uh, Grand Prix, and he was able to um, return to the car, but of course missed two races, and that did hurt him in the standings as well. But I mean, overall, it was mostly uh, Pato Award in in that car, and uh, that uh, did well. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens. But you know, the young drivers they're able to continue their run of success, and then yeah, Colton Herta, of course, like I said earlier, like um, that's the guy who I look at as uh, somebody uh, from 2021 who performed well, but uh, was wildly inconsistent throughout the year that could possibly turn it around and challenge Alex blow, uh, in, uh, 2022. Yeah. I mean, those two guys, because we, um, I'm going to transition over, you were talking about Dixon there, Josh. And I mean, he's a legend. He's one of the greatest ever you done. I mean, for him to not be in the championship battle, would be surprising. He was in the championship battle, albeit kind of in the outskirts of it. And his, closest rival other than that you know has been in recent years has been joseph newgarden two-time indycar champion one of america's great talents that f1 missed on um because he was in europe uh and he and and he was uh looked over almost like what logan Sargent could have been um if he had ended up here and we'll talk about logan Sargent here in a little bit too but those two guys have been the guys battling for this title for the last few years. And now for the first time, honestly, they both were kind of, they kind of had to change their game up. You mentioned the qualifying. I mean, Dixon has struggled with qualifying. He's, he's kind of turned into Earnhardt or smoke or whoever, like Matt Kenseth, who it's like, okay, I'll qualify wherever and I'll see, and I'll do what I can. Um, in IndyCar, I'm not so sure it works out as well because the races aren't as long. Um, when you have a 500 mile race or 400 mile race and you have the gimmicks that NASCAR has, you could possibly get away from a bad qualifying run. Um, when they have qualifying, I guess they will have that more this year again, but in Dixon's case, it's harder 
to, I mean, he's one of the only ones I've seen that can really make a lot of overtakes, but there are races where there really isn't a whole lot of overtaking, no matter what you do. Um, the qualifying uh, has to be a point of emphasis for Ganassi, especially since now they're going to be a four-car four four full-time team um, adding, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Erickson, of course, who had a breakout year and uh, Jamie Johnson all running full-time. I think they're going to want to look at qualifying because it's going to be so tough. They're going to change the qualifying segments or the, the groupings uh, to to limit traffic because that became a problem last year during the road courses, uh, road course, street course uh, races because of the amount of like the, the same thing in Formula One where everybody slows down trying to get clear track the same issue in IndyCar, but more, you know, pronounced. Um, I think in Formula One, you should have the technology and we're, I mean, people complain about single car qualifying. I mean, if that's what's going to end up happening, hopefully they don't. Group qualifying works um, if you police it properly. And at least in IndyCar, they generally, unlike Formula One, police things a little better. Uh, Dixon, he's one of the greatest ever. Keep on saying it. I mean, he led over 400 laps last year so he led more laps than anybody including Newgarden including Colton Herta and he had he his qualifying position same average as Pelot his average finish was basically the same as Pelot he was running at the finish of one more race and had two more lead lap finishes but he only had five podiums to Alex Pelos eight and of course one win to Alex Pelos three and uh, you know Indianapolis is a perfect example uh, of where um, Scott Dixon lost a ton of points Indianapolis is literally to be fair other than getting a seven championship and getting like past Mario Andretti's win record or he already did actually sorry but you know getting closer to AJ Foyt's win record it's winning Indianapolis again really and that's another person and New Garden the only thing that's holding him back from like lifetime employment at Penske Racing is winning Indy. He's done everything else for Penske. He's won multiple races in 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 certain years. He's he's been a great face for the team. He fits the mold, and I mean he's more polished than like Rick Mears was. He's bigger talker, and he's more you know like media savvy and friendly. Um, he's great on short ovals, amazing on short ovals, great road racer, ability to qualify is off the charts, not to the same levels like Colton Herta showed last year, but he can. They were talking about it in the mailbag actually on Racer Magazine. But the fact is that's it. I mean, literally that's it. If he can win Indy, I mean, I, they won't market it properly, but if he wins Indy, he looks like central casting for like American, you know, the American model. Like when I saw IndyCar was the thing, like they should have went and just made him the guy. They were with Ryan Hunter Ray back then, but they could have just made Joseph Newgarden the guy too, but they yeah, didn't definitely. have the foresight. And he's married, you know, settling down all this crap, you know, all that. He's white bread and he's from freaking um, Nashville, Nashville. Uh, so, I mean, it's and uh, he he he's a Penske guy, but he's an American dude, but he has European roots, too. So it's kind of like a great cross branding here. And he's and with Penske racing, of course, now and it's a good point, we'll deviate 
back into uh, uh, what else, the, uh, some of the other topics. But Penske now, uh, you mentioned Simon Pagino uh, going over to Meyer Shank, two, two Penske castoffs now uh, going to Meyer Shank. But uh, they've reduced to three cars for 2022 in lieu of the Porsche program they're going to be running in IMSA and the World Endurance Championship and the prototypes and Will Power is still there because Verizon obviously loves him even though he's not been as good in recent years and he's, he's a nutter um, but you know and then Scott McLaughlin will be in his second full season uh, as a driver so as an IndyCar driver they'll be consolidating some of the sponsorships I figure I wonder what Menard will be doing uh, with them after being Pagano's sponsor for most of the year last year, last couple of years, and uh, he won him the Indy 500. Maybe John Menard won't be back because he's sponsoring two or three cars now in the Cup Series. But um, they're consolidating, they're reducing their their amount of drivers. Ganassi's increasing the amount of drivers they have. You know, you have some of these other teams, like they talk about the big two, but now it's expanding. Uh, I mean, I think for... To me, Josh, I, for those two guys, I talk about Indy. I mean, Indy is a thing. Dixon winning Indy only once is crazy to me. Um, when you consider Dario went into that team and won twice um, and probably would have won way more if he hadn't gotten hurt uh, in that team. And and Dan Weldon, when he ran for Ganassi for a couple of years, both of the times he ran there for Ganassi, he was a contender in that in the Indy 500. It seems weird to me that he's only won it once. It's kind of crazy. But to be fair, Michael Andretti, there's so many guys that never won it. And uh, so Dixon having one, it's fine. At least you have one. Uh, Newgard not having one is is also weird. But you know, it's never really all the things pieces haven't fit uh, for him. I think for those two guys, it may not be as much of, I mean, I know they want the championship and they've won championships. And of course for Dixon, he wants seven. I'm sure he wants seven because that's that elite number. But I think Indy would be bigger. Um, Indy is bigger to be fair than the championship. I bet. I mean, Alex below won't say that now as a champion, but I'm pretty sure he wanted to beat Alio, and that flows into the next topic of Alio Castro-Neves coming off the deck, being a part-time sports car driver and a part-time IndyCar driver. His first race of the year was last year's Indy 500. He qualified his Meyer Shane car in the Fast 9, quietly went about his month, and on race day had a rocket ship. And him and Alex Pillow had one of the great battles in recent Indy 500 history, uh, I mean, going into this new, like the DW12 era, there was much more cooler, closer battles, like the Ryan Hunter Ray Alio battle. Um, I enjoyed that because Ryan Hunter Ray won that race. But uh, this race, I was sitting at at a bar with people that don't watch indie cars and don't understand anything about racing and they were watching they're enthralled by how great this race was and i'm like this is the best indy 500 we had in a few years but alio showed why i mean he shoe polishes his hair the dude has the heart and 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 you know he's a young he's still a young gun he's still alio castro dash neves who came from brazil and jumped in indy lights car for tasman and with his teammate Tony, his friend and teammate Tony Kanan, and winning four Indy 500s now with, you know, some of the passings we've had here in uh, the last few months with the Unser brothers, Al Unser passing away, of course. AJ Foyt's health is, you know, always, and you know, you never know. 
And he's then, a strong boy, though. <laughs> he, you know, he's tried to. I mean, Robin Miller, the late Robin Miller, talked about it in his AJ Foydisms videos about how all the different things he's done to try to kill himself, and he's still, <laughs> or almost get killed, and he's still here. So um, it's amazing. Uh, tells you uh, raw meat and ice cream uh, obviously does work. Uh, but in, you know, the Elio Castroneves is now a four-time Indy 500 champion, basically got himself a ride neck for the full year because of that from Jim Meyer. And, um, I don't know if Michael Shank has still has recovered from the hangover that he had from winning the Indianapolis 500. Um, I don't think he wants to, honestly, if he hadn't, but, um, that was one of the great race. That was a one of the greatest races I've ever seen in my life as a racing fan. And it was very competitive, a lot of different drivers, but Alio came through. Uh, I wanted Polo to win that, obviously, but, you know, for Alio to win that race, it was a big deal, um, not only for the IndyCar series, and it was good for their marketing and PR that is non-existent to have a guy win his fourth Indy 500 who is as much of a, you know, a, a person that is so out there flamboyant somebody who has appeal in the media landscape you know winning dancing with the stars all those yeah. years ago i mean and what it means i mean what did it mean i mean i know we talked about it, it was big when we talked about it last may but thinking about it now is alio's coming back to be a full-time indycar driver for the first time in like 45 years or whatever it is um it meant a whole lot what he did that day. Yeah. I mean, he definitely did a lot that day winning that race. I mean, the energy of the, uh, 2021 Indy 500 was just, um, you know, tremendous. I mean, obviously there was no fans and that was part of the aspect of it is just, um, the fans being back, bringing that energy back. I mean, in that race, I remember watching it on TV, um, while preparing food for a party later. And, uh, there was, um, you know, the, moment when Colton or Connor Daly took the lead and you could hear the, the fans cheering for him. Of course, yeah, hometown they hero. Yeah. Yeah. But pretty much any driver, the fans like uh, for the most part at, at this uh, race. And of course, Elio maybe the most remarkable driver uh, still in the series, uh, even though he was not a part-time or not a full-time driver anymore. Of course, he still has that pool, like you said, from Dancing with the Stars, able to uh, pull that card and and uh, bring that. Uh, hadn't won a championship yet in the series, but um, was, of course, the driver that could uh, you know bring his name up into the four-time winner club and add his name to that list, was able to do. Uh, he was able to close up onto uh, Alex Pelot coming up uh, onto the like two laps ago or one lap to go in that race. And, uh, he was able to, uh, make that pass onto the front stretch and, uh, take the lead from Alex below. And it was a really good move. Just had a really good corner off of turn four. And then he was just able to draft off of, uh, uh, below and then pass him on the outside. Uh, very bold move to do, of course, at Indianapolis. But you know, if you have the car just right at that, uh, at that point, you, you have the momentum in that corner and, uh, you know, the guy on the inside doesn't quite have the downforce anymore to uh, hold it on the inside line uh, and keep the lead. But uh, he was able to win that race and, um, of course, parlaying that into a full-time ride this year. And we'll see how he does. Uh, if he's able to add himself to the five-time winner club, of course, you know, the only one at Indianapolis that Jeff has five-time wins, Jeff Gordon, of course, Jeff Gordon. in NASCAR. Yeah, in NASCAR, but uh, winners at the Indianapolis five or Motor Speedway, um, that's just... Uh, who's on that list of five-time winners. So uh, it would be an incredible thing if he's able to uh, 
go out and get his fifth uh, any 500 win in 2022 uh, this May. We'll see if it happens. Uh, but as for the rest of the schedule, um, you know, we're going to have to see being on the full-time uh, ride again, uh, what's his results going to be. He's going to struggle early on and have to adapt to uh, being in the car, you know, full-time, you know, he had uh, that stint at Long Beach to kind of prep for the next season. Uh, so we'll see, you know, what he's able to do. You know, of course, he had that run, uh, that run in with uh, in warm ups with uh, Alexander Rossi. You know, they made up and everything, so they're good. But of course, you know, we've seen, you know, the, the happy Elio, of course, at Indy 500. And then, of course, you know, the most angriest, you know, we've seen Elio Castroneves since that incident in Edmonton back in 2010 when he, uh, he had that issue with the, the, uh, the stewards in that one when, uh, I guess they took it away from him and uh, gave the win to Will Power uh, based off you know passing on the restart uh, when he was supposed to. But uh, the the passion of Elio, of course, is what will drive him uh, in this season. We'll we'll see what he's able to do, and you look forward to him being in that car again and being teammates to Scott Dixon or to. Um, I keep mixing up Scott Dixon and Simon is both start with an S and uh, they're both really good drivers, but yeah, yeah being a teammate to uh, Simon Pagano again uh, and being in, in the same organization, they were teammates over at team Penske and they were teammates, both in IndyCar and in IMSA. Uh, so it's going to be interesting what they're able to do uh, Two veteran drivers, you know, both drivers in, in their forties now uh, being able to be uh, in the, in the car, uh, and on the same team, we'll see what they do here in 2022. Yeah. And they're both going to be teammates on the prototype side in the 60 car, uh, here at the Rolex here in a few weeks time. Alio's the designated endurance, third endurance driver uh, with the team. And then for the 24, they called in Simon Pagino, which is a pretty good shoe to call in because, um, he's pretty damn fast in the sports car. And uh, I think one of these days, I, I'm I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised that he got the call from Meyer Shank, but I also thought that he would be like Sebastian Bourdais and want to go and commit to winning Le Mans as a French driver. And that's kind of what Sebastian Bourdais did. He's like, look, I don't really have great full-time IndyCar options. I'm going to hedge and go with Cadillac and go with Chip Ganassi to go and run and win Le Mans. And that's his play, um, hoping to beat Toyota and whatever, the LM hybrids, whatever, uh, or hypercars. I mean, the uh, the hypercars at uh, Le Mans uh, here coming in 2023. But, uh, yeah, it. Elio's win. I, I mean, the the celebration. His celebration is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, and only somebody like Elio could pull that off. I mean, it was like ten minutes of just joy and running like a nutbag, and he's like in and his hugging mid forties, hugging everybody. I mean, he got blessed by Mario. I think he got blessed by like two or three people. Like it, it was like it, Mario's like the Pope, so he got blessed by the Pope. Then he's like something like I don't know who. He ran it. I don't know every person I think that's ever been involved, like Sindrick and all these other Pensk, all the Penske guys came over. Pagano came over to him. Uh, I mean, it was insane. And then, I mean, I mean, if Michael Shank didn't like dry hump his leg, I don't know. But I mean, he they drank, they made, they somehow or another got something to make 
the milk pink, probably strawberry something. And they ended up having the milk celebration. He had strawberry milk for uh, Auto Nation and Sirius XM. Um, that was something for sure. And Meyer Shank, they were talking about the engineering staff here because Andretti Autosports uh, made a few moves uh, with their fourth car and specifically um, and also with the Meyer Shank partnership that they have. That's one thing you talked about how Elio will transition. He ran six races last year, five mostly. Uh, I think the rest of them are road course races and they're, you know, here or there, neither here nor there in regards to results. But now that Andretti partnership, there and now you have Pagano in there too. Uh, that's a six-car effort in a sense with data, you know, sharing and all that. Um, how will that be being a being a satellite team of sorts? How that'll work? Uh, will they be able to be competitive? It's interesting because, of course, Jack Harvey's been there for a few years. People can say whatever they want about him. He was very fast, and he had his moments. Uh, he was good on qualifying day for sure, and he had good runs, and he had podiums, uh, but he just was missing that last little bit. Now you're bringing in two veteran guys. Um, I think Pagano is more of a long-term, put him in the prototype program. Alio is box office. That's why they're using him. They're hoping they can get some extra sponsors out of it and maybe get an American, I would think, uh, to jump into that program uh, and, and kind of take that seat over once things kind of settle out. But that race was huge. Um, it was a race. You mentioned Connor Daly and how he he was he led the most laps that day. Yeah, until he hit the laps, tire. And he hit that, yeah, that tire. There was a wreck. And that Graham. was, yeah, Graham's wreck when he was up there. And he had a chance to, I mean, Graham Ray Hall's, I mean, he's one in life. He's married to Courtney Force and he's rich beyond his means. And his dad's a legend and his, his father-in-law's a legend. But his luck in the Indy 500 is insanely bad. Um, for as good of a driver as he is um, on big ovals. And I mean, maybe people think he deserves it because he, he can be a dick and maybe you can believe that, but he's a good driver. Uh, he had a really good car too. Um, the car was dog crap in qualifying, but he had a good race car. He was up front. Um, Sato had a good car too. And Strat didn't really go his way. He was trying to go for three Indy 500 wins. And that's interesting, too. We're going to get into that with the driver changes, um, talking about Jack Harvey and Takuma Sato. But, um, you know, like you look at the it was a Ed Carpenter racing benefit between uh, Connor Daly and Renus VK. Uh, Renus VK put it on the front row, led 32 laps, had a great run. Strategy didn't really work out in his favor late. But he was um, up there trying to follow in the footsteps of uh, his men, one of his mentors, Harry Lunatic, the two-time Indianapolis 500 champion, um, bring it back to the Netherlands, an actual guy from the Netherlands, unlike uh, Max Verstappen, who's Belgian. Um, but, well, whatever the hell's nationality is, he's a prick. But um, not Renus VK, who won uh, his first race at the Indy road course earlier that month. Um, you know, Pato Award, of course, was it Cashinev's Pato or Palo Pagano Award, Ed Carpenter, 
ended up finishing fifth um, in that race after starting fourth. And then um, um, Rupier Float Head, Sage Karam, VK, Juan Pablo Monterrier, um, who will be driving with his son at uh, Rolex 24. Or no, the the long or twelve hours of Sebring, or I, I have to look that up again. I I'll look that up in a minute. But um, yeah. and, and Tony then Tony Kanan in tenth, driving the forty eight car. So you know though that it's interesting. The field is very tight and um, a lot of good cars. I mean, there was twenty two cars on the lead lap. So um, you can only imagine it's going to be even tougher to make this race this year. So we'll see how many show up. Uh, Dixon qualified on pole and only led seven laps and finished 17. So yeah, he had a penalty of... or issue, right? Yeah, he had a penalty or in uh, on pit road or something, and then he got shuffled back and he never could make that track position up. So it tells you that that race that that race is going to stand because, of course, Alio won his fourth. But there are so many things that you think about in regards to the IndyCar season, how it kind of worked out. Um, and where it ended up to kind of uh, how things changed and how things worked out just based on the whole year. Um, Transitioning into 2022 briefly um, for this this part, I mean, I I mentioned the whole uh, mayor of Hinchtown uh, uh, going to TV full time. I mean, he did such a great job with Alan Bestwick on the SRX broadcasts. It was only, and the way that his season went last year seemed like it was only a matter of time. I don't think that he's as bad as he looked last year, but I also think that the accident that he had at Indianapolis a few years ago took away a little bit from what Hinch had, um, and he kind of wasn't the same guy. Uh, he did win again, I think, but it wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't yeah but he wasn't the same guy, and he could still race. Honestly, uh, once these teams come in with prototypes, whatever. I think he could be an IMSA driver uh, for sure. Uh, but I don't think being on an oval in an Indy car really is, he's not as keen on it um, anymore. And to be fair, James Hinchcliffe's best can best help the Indy car series by being their lead analyst um, and build a brand there. And hopefully with him and Lee Diffie, they can build something together. Whoever the hell they have as a third person's whatever, they're going to have a hard time replacing Miller. Hopefully they'd hire some people back like Jan Bikas and whatever to help the pits, pit, pro, pit progress. I kind of feel like Kelly Stavis is going to get like permanently assigned to IndyCar. So she never covers a NASCAR race again because of all the bullshit that happened. Um, but you know, I think Hinch coming to TV full time is going to be great for NBC, great for uh, for Lee Diffie because he Hinch understands the whole dynamic. He's able to play, do an interplay. They'll joke around. You know, he also understands the car. That fundamentally, as much as anything, really means a lot. Like Durwood sat there for years yapping about nonsense and then by the end he was just screaming because he didn't know anything about the cars and then i got into a twitter thing one time his stupid fans and some of the inbreds went after me because i questioned something daryl said and then he's trying to go and say well i've worked on race cars and did all that you haven't driven a race car in 20 years how the hell are you talking about you haven't driven a cup car in 20 years. How are you talking about this and saying, oh, this is how it is? And you're questioning like Jeff Gordon, who actually just got out of the car. It makes no goddamn sense. But 
It's Durwood, whatever. The inbreds, the same inbreds are going to be celebrating tomorrow were the ones that were going after me and some other guy on Twitter, but then it's Twitter. Um, I think the um, the fact of the matter is he's going to be big for for NBC, and he's got cross appeal where he might be on the Olympics here next month, whoever's going to end up at the Olympics next month since a bunch of people are starting to get COVID in regards to athletes. Um, and I had COVID and somehow or another tested positive and negative within two hours of each other, but I don't know. Um, you know, it's, he's able to go and do multiple things. That might be a big thing for IndyCar in their PR push, Josh, uh, before we get into the driver changes, which there are a lot. Yeah. I mean, especially with James Hinchcliffe, you talk about his ability to be an announcer. I mean, you could kind of see it in 2020 when he was a part-time announcer for uh, NBC when he wasn't in the IndyCar. You saw it last year in uh, the CBS booth with Alan Bestwick when he was there in SRX. And he's also said that uh, if he wasn't a race car driver or if he never became a race car driver, he would have became a broadcaster or tried you know, to go down the, the media route. And he's very, you know, he's very articulate. He's friends with most of the drivers. Uh, he understands the car, like you said, uh, and understands the intricacies uh, of it. And he has the dynamic, he has the, the humor. I mean, he still has, I mean, not as much pool, but I mean, he's also on dancing with the stars. So he does have uh, media appeal there uh, that, you know, the casual observer might be able to remember him from that. Um, he still has that accident. Yeah. Like you talked about his accident in 2015, came back a year later, uh, won the poll for the 2016 500 and then failed to qualify a year later in, in 2017. So he's had a, you know, a lot of up and down in his uh, driving career, uh, you know, particularly at Indianapolis. And um, I think he's going to bring a lot of his experience that he he's had in the car into the booth, still going to be racing probably in himself, like you said. And I mean, if uh, they bring back uh, Townsend Bell Townsend still races in himself as well, he's raced as recently as uh, 2016 and uh, 500. So still has uh, a lot of relevant experience there so two drivers that had uh, a lot of experience going to help in the booth uh make it you know bring up the level of the booth um certainly help uh lee diffie out um with credibility there and maybe you know have a you know, better sounding broadcasting booth uh, overall and and everything so uh looking forward to seeing you know what hinge is able to do um you know is it going to have the same effect that you know guys like dale jr or you know, Jeff Gordon had in the booth. We'll see. I think, I think he will. And you, know, you saw a preview of that in uh, CBS last year with the SRX series. So uh, looking forward to what, you know, James has to say next year and, you know, definitely looking forward to hearing some of the humor that he's got uh, being uh, translated up into the booth. Yeah. I think that's going to be a big, uh, big plus um, relative to who he's replacing. And um, even though it might, go uh might be a disagreement with somebody who i'm gonna have to i'm trying to get on the show uh here who is one of his closest friends uh but the fact of the matter is i think just in regards to strictly talking about indycar and making it not just for not just for lay people who are watching it for the first time but for serious fans people who know hinch and his story he has that cross reference and cross appeal and that's a good thing towns and bells whatever uh, I, he's kind of gotten to be a little, you know, redundant and boring. And that's probably part of the reason why he's only a part-time driver at even faster Sullivan now. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, in regards to the 2022 IndyCar 
IndyCar uh, driver changes, you know, the we'll get into that now um, for I'm just bringing it. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, there will be uh, three cars of Team Penske instead of four as there's been or as there was last year with New Garden, McLaughlin and Power. The changes that we, we mentioned, the Meyer Shank changes, uh, Pagano replacing Jack Harvey and Alio going and running full time in the 06 car. Uh, big uh, changes are Roman Grosjean, who was a rookie last year running the 51 car uh, at Dale Coyne and Rick Ware, will be going to the DHL car number 28 uh, for Andretti Autosport. The 29 car will be run by Devlin DeFrancesco, who's bringing daddy's money to um, take over the ride that was James Hinchcliffe's ride. Kyle Kirkwood, the Indy Lights champion, uh, the the Road to Indy, uh, he's won every championship in Road to Indy, was going to look like he was going to have no ride um, if Logan Sargent had decided to move over to the States. Instead, the Williams deal came through, and now um, Kyle Kirkwood will be the driver of the legendary A.J. Foyt number 14 car in 2022. Aaron McLaren said they're going to run a third car, but it doesn't look like that that's uh, a full commitment um, as of now. They're definitely going to have two cars. Jimmy Johnson's going to run the full year this year, which means he'll be running ovals, which means he's going to run the Indianapolis 500. The um, Jimmy Jimmy won four. I think he won four Brickyard 400s, right? Or I, I don't know. I don't know if yeah, he won that. four Brickyard 400s. Yeah, it, se- it seemed like he won way too many. So, yeah, four Brickyard 400s um, and uh, blew a tire in 05 and knocked himself out and caught on fire. Um, that was cool. Um, but uh, because Tony won that race. But, um, and uh, you have for Dale Coyne, they're going to have two new drivers. This year, uh, the runner-up in the Indy Lights Championship, David Malukas, who's bringing the family funding, but he's proven to be a really good shoe. He'll be driving the 18 car uh, because the Vassar Sullivan, uh, what is it? I forget who their sponsor was uh, for the last few years, um, but they're leave. They left. To commit to the sports car program, I forget the sponsor, but now the Malukas is coming in and Takuma Sato is going to take over the 51 car. Uh, Dryan Reinbold is committed to Indy with two cars with Root Beer Floathead and Sage Karam. Basically, the only car that has an open ride is Ed Carpenter's road course ride. Um, that's it. Yeah, we don't know who's it going to be, whether it's going to be Connor Daly, whether it's going to be Ryan Hunter Ray. To be determined. Um, Renus Fike will be back next this year, of course. Callum Eilat, the um, Formula One, uh, the you know going through the ladder. He's had uh, great progress and done a good job. He'll be driving the Junkos Hollinger number seventy-seven full time. One of five rookies. And then the last rookie will be a fellow Formula Two and Formula Three uh, graduate. Christian Lundgaard, who made one start last year for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan at uh, the Indy Road Course Part 2 during the NASCAR weekend and qualified in the Fast 6. And that basically got him into the 30 car with, of course, his funding and Alpine funding and all that. 
Uh, Harvey is going to be in the fully funded uh, high V number 45 that I was kind of hoping Oliver Askew would have gotten, but you know, it's neither here nor there right now. Um, and with Green Rehaul. So it kind of goes into that. You know, we look at this, it's a deep field, you know, 25, 25, 26 cars be out there every week. Um, that's pretty deep. Uh, you know, thinking about some of the one-offs that'll be there. Beth Peretta's trying to rearrange a deal to run Indy again, of course. And, you know, some of these teams will run an extra car. It's, it's one of the deepest fields we've had in a long time. I mean, I think we say that every year and it seems to be true getting more true every year or truer Josh that um and I mean the rookies the rookies in this class you have the top two guys in Indy Lights last year who battled the whole way you have two guys that came through the Formula One grid system and were locked out of Formula One in a sense and didn't really have any outs and they said okay we'll bring our money and we'll run IndyCar and who knows what can happen. Um, you know, Colton Hurd is perfect proof of that uh, with how much money Michael Andretti seems to have these days. But um, I mean, 2022, I mean, this to get into the fast 12 at, at road course races is going to be really, really tough, let alone making the fast six and qualifying on pole. But to make the fast 12 is going to be something. Yeah, definitely going to be something to make the fast 12, especially with, I mean, we say it's a deep field. And like you said, it seems like that's the case every year. I feel like it's definitely been the case uh, since uh, they moved back to the IR18 chassis, low downforce uh, car on you know both the uh, super speedways and or ovals and on the road courses, the universal aero kit. And I feel like with, you know, especially with the formula that IndyCar has, uh, you have a kind of a, I mean, there are differences in the car and, but it's, you know, mostly a spec series now and it allows the driver talent to really shine. And there's a lot of parody in the series. So you get to really see uh, drivers that, you know, had been in past series, come over to the series or drivers that, you know, have been around in the series for a long time, uh, continue to still be competitive and you have that week to week volatility. I mean, for the most part, you know, the middle portions of the field and sometimes uh, affects even the up into the podium. And I mean, I feel like, you know, with one of these changes, of course, Roman Grosjean going from the 51 part-time uh, with Dale Coyne, Rick Ware going to uh, replace uh, Ryan Hunter Ray um, in the 28 with DHL Andretti Autosport. So, uh, I mean, that's the one change that I'm really looking at uh, seeing what is Roman Grosjean, you know, he really impressed in the 51 car last year on the road courses. And then uh, it was so impressive enough that he got, got a chance to run ovals at gateway and, you know, he became a hero there at that race, particularly because he used the high line and everything. So uh, what does he do in the number 28? You know, 28 hasn't really been all that great last couple of years with uh, Ryan Hunter Ray hasn't been great. I mean, it's, you know, basically um, hasn't really shown a whole lot since, um, you know, 2015, 2014, when he won the Indy 500. So, uh, and then he won at Iowa that year as well, Ryan Hunter Ray, but, uh, you know, Roman Grosjean, his talent that he has, you saw it in the 51, does it translate over to the 28? Can he get a win? Um, is he able to finish within the, the top 10 of the point standings? Can he even challenge higher, possibly get a top five or, you know, sneak up onto the podium or something like that? That'd be a massive, massive improvement, but, um, for that car and, and for that team. But I mean, I you know, really think that, you know, he's a driver that's 
you know, immensely talented and, you know, finally being able to show it, you know, after years of kind of running in the back with Haas and, and everything. So that's, you know, one, one change that I'm, you know, really looking at, you know, of course we've already talked about, you know, Simon Pagino, Elio Castroneves going full-time, one driver going back full-time, another moving over to new team, get a fresh start. You talk about, uh, Jimmy Johnson's going full-time as well. So, uh, we've yet to see him on an oval in a needy car in competition. And, you know, we know what he can do in NASCAR. And certainly, um, you know, we would think that, uh, some of that's going to carry over just that oval experience, you know, running the, you know, the different lines and, and, um, knowing how to utilize, uh, dirty air and downforce in the car. So, um, looking forward to see what he's able to do in that. And of course, Tony Kanon going to have a, um, separate car for him now that Jamie's full-time. So we'll see you know, what he's able to do, uh, in that car. Um, you know, of course, rookies as well, you know, Kyle Kirkwood winning the, uh, any lights championship now full-time in the 14, um, you know, the 14 is not the best car, but we've seen even last year, uh, Sebastian Borde was able to, uh, make something of it. Devlin DeFrancesco taking over the car formerly driven by James Hinchcliffe on the announcer's booth. So we'll see what he's able to do. If he's able to do better than his predecessor in that car, um, be somewhat competitive, uh, Christian Lundgaard like in the 30 replacing, um, uh, Takuma Sato. So, uh, he had that good qualifying effort at the second Indianapolis road course race, uh, and showed what he could do in that car. You know, we'll see what he's able to do. Uh, number 30, uh, being a teammate now to Graham Rahal and Jack Harvey. So he's got two veteran drivers in series, uh, that he can lean on for experience. And then, you know, also talking about Takuma Sato and is he going to be able to replicate the, uh, performance that Roman, uh, put in that car, uh, in 2021. Um, he's a, another driver that has a uh, formula one experience. Of course, his was a very long time ago, uh, relative to Roman Grosjean. So, uh, is he going to be able to put on the same performance, put it on the podium, go get a pole at Indianapolis? We'll have to see on the road course. So you'll know, we'll have to see about that, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these changes we'll see, um, of course, David Lucas, they team going to be teammates with Takuma. So that's going to be interesting pairing as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, every year we, feel like the series continues to get tougher. Yeah. I think road courses and even at ovals, I think the uh, top 10 is going to be really hard. Top 12 is going to be really hard to uh, crack, uh, especially, you know, if you're a mid-level team trying to be uh, competitive uh, compared to, you know, the upper teams like Ganassi, like Penske and, you know, even Andretti. And uh, we have to include McLaren in that as well. Yeah. It's going to be something this year. I mean, the rookie battle is going to be a nice, uh, you know, the two top two guys uh, from last year's Indy Lights Championship, Kirkwood, of course, being at AJ Foyt, that's going to be a tough um, nut to crack there. Uh, it's been a long time since AJ Foyt's team has been competitive uh, in IndyCar. Even when Takuma was winning an odd race here or there, they still were irrelevant in others. Um, can Kyle Kirkwood be that guy, the American, you know, the American dream, be like Dusty Rhodes? Uh, can it be Ric Flair? I don't know. Like, and, and bring the the team, uh, bring this team up uh, with the funding and all that. Uh, a, Malukas has his funding and Dale Coin Racing has always run that way. I'm curious how that combination will be with Sato and him. Uh, Sato kind of gets to walk off on his own uh, merit in a sense with the Dale Coin uh, Rick Ware combination. Um, of course, I think that'll help them. They've run well at Indy in general uh, in recent years anyway, whether it's Rupier Floathead, uh, they had other guys fill in. 
Um, Davison filled in for Borde when he had his massive wreck in 17 and had a good run going there. So um, they've had good cars at Indy. So putting a two-time Indianapolis 500 winner in that car, who knows what could that what that could mean. Um, then you look at Lungard bringing his funding to the uh, Ray Hall team, how that'll do. I think that'll help him on the road courses especially. But, I mean, for Graham, he hasn't won in a couple of years. I think he wants to win Indy and, uh, in general. I think that's a big goal. But I think he also wants to compete for a championship. Lungard wants to win Rookie of the Year, and, and Harvey wants to be relevant. Um, see if Ray Hall can come back. The Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan uh, team can come back. Callum Eilat, I'm curious how that team will do. Uh, Junkos is great in the lower formulas. They've struggled in IndyCar. It's hard to compete in this sport as a new team. Um, what they will do over the year, I'm sure there will be flashes um, during the season, especially on the road courses. Um, it might be tough for them to make Indy, uh, depending on who shows up. It will be something to see. Um, in regards to the freaking computer and everything spazzing up, 2022, you got to love it. Um, I mean, I, I said about, you know, who needs to step up. I'm trying to think of who needs to step up this season relative to uh, who was around. I mean, who what they did last year, um, 2021 IndyCar Series results, driver standings. I'll start this kind of, I mean, Alexander Rossi finished 10th in points. He only had one podium. Ever since Colton Herta showed up on this team on the main andretti team uh rossi's kind of lost something i don't know what i mean and nothing is changing in regards to his team and engineers and all that but he needs to pick it up uh he's a honda factory driver i don't think it matters in regards to that i he's got plenty of money um he gets laid all that he's really a good driver but he needs to pick it up um, if andretti wants to be competitive this year uh i think it plays a lot in what the 27 does in Alexander Rossi. Napa Auto Parts spends a lot of money on him. Honda spends a lot of money on him. Uh, Sirius XM spends a lot of, a lot of money on him. Uh, I think at the end of the day, those are all those entities want to see Alexander Rossi do what he did uh, a few years ago um, as a competitor to win the IndyCar championship and win a lot of races. Um, he's one guy. Uh, Pagano is another one. He didn't have the greatest year last year, of course, but I think he knew he was out the door, so it kind of was like a mail-in deal. He still finished eighth in points. Um, he, it wasn't his best year, to be fair, but I'm curious to see what going from a factory-type effort at Penske and then going to being a satellite effort, how that how he will do. I don't really have high hopes for Alio. I think Alio's whole entire gimmick is to be there to run Indy. He might show up a couple other times. Um, he had his he had passed his prime outside of Indy a while ago. But when it comes to Indy, if you're that good, you can look back at the old Indy 500 pump day qualifyings. All the guys that used to win the Indy 500, they're always there still qualifying on bump day trying to make the indy 500 because you can't get rid of you're not going to get rid of guys who are that good at the speedway alio is great at the speedway that's the race that matters the most so we'll see what happens with that and i think will power is another one because i don't know what penske's plan is um long term but will powers 
the productivity has gone down over the last few years. I mean, minus him being a douche along with Chad Reed, um, minus all his character defects and all that. He's not the same driver he was last few or a few years ago. He's getting older. Um, if Verizon knew it was good for them, they'd just sponsor Joseph Newgarden. Um, and then whoever the other sponsors, all the other sponsors they have just put on Scott McLaughlin's car. And I mean, I don't know if Will Power wants to run sports cars. It doesn't seem like he wants to run sports cars. Um, Bensky doesn't seem to want to get rid of him. So I guess he's never really going to go anywhere. But I think he needs to step it up uh, personally um, relative to all the PR he gets. I mean, he really should step it up. He didn't really do much last year. Um, Sato Sato, it's, he's going to always be hit or miss. It's been his whole career. Um, and Harvey, now that he has a fully funded ride at uh, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, which I think at worst case you could say is a lateral move, but now he's in a three-car team instead of a one-car team. He's going to have data to look at what can he do. Uh, it seems like Graham wanted to bring him over. It seems like Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan was interested in him. So what can he do now that he's in that role? Um, who do you see, Josh, or do you see anybody different or what do you want to add in regards to the um, guys who need to step up here in 2022 um, as we look towards that, at least briefly? Yeah, I mean, I earlier did kind of go a little rogue on here and jumped ahead, but I mean, I, I said like uh, Colton Herta, but only because he's got to be able to put consistent results. Uh, Scott Dixon, I think he's got to, to be able to uh, – win the championship again. I think he has to win more than one race, um, certainly be in contention up to the final weekend. Um, Simon Pagino talking about him earlier, um, new, new fresh started, uh, Meyer Shank now being teammates with, uh, Elio. Um, I mean, I agree with you with, uh, willpower. I mean, one, one race last year and finished on the podium four times and had a pole, but, uh, wasn't a factor many of the races and you know, had also had a lot of inconsistency and I mean, showed in his uh, average finishes and had a 12.4 average finish and just that's not going to cut it in the series. And, you know, we always kind of, I mean, Alexander Rossi has been kind of not been performing that well the last couple of seasons. And uh, I kind of overlooked him earlier, but uh, yeah, I, I think he's another guy, uh, especially being teammates to, uh, grows John and being teammates to uh, Colton Herta, he's got to be able to up his game and uh, kind of get back to the level that he was at, you know, back in you know 2019 and 2018, and uh, when that's kind of like his uh, peak in the series so far in his IndyCar career. Uh, so yeah, I think those guys need to step it up. I, you know, Jack Harvey, like you said, he's got to step it up. And would like to see what Scott McLaughlin is able to do next year, especially uh, first year in the car uh, last year. And, um, you know, had a lot of struggle in the car. So I'd like to see what he's able to do uh, with a full year of experience now in an open wheel car. Um, I'd like to see what Jimmy Johnson does, especially um, now that he's going to have a full year of road course experience uh, in the car, you know, we saw flashes of what he could do, uh, especially once you got deep into a run, even though maybe he might've been a lap down, he was starting to show better pace, uh, towards the end of the races. So now he's got a year under his belt and more practice, more testing. Uh, is he going to be able to, uh, compete, uh, at the road course level in this series and, you know, at least finish respectable and, you know, 
at least you know be somewhat competitive I and mean, we don't expect him to go out and you know finish in the top 10 in points but you know can he raise his level of uh, competitiveness so um you know maybe he could crack the top 15 i mean roman grosjean ran one more race than than him and finished in 15th in the standings on a part-time schedule so could he you know and jamie finished in 26th despite running 12 races so could he at least uh get up to the 15th or something like that and um you know, potentially uh, up his average finish level to some of the other drivers in the series. Cause you know, he had a, a 21.1 average finish. Uh, can you at least raise it up to the 12 to 15 level? I, you know, that's something that uh, we'd like to see from, or that I'd like to see from Jimmy, especially um, with that, you know, what we assume could be his final year competing uh, competitively in a series. If he decides uh, to only do two years at, at, at Ganassi um, in 2022, um, you know, Felix Rosenquist, is he able to uh, kind of match the level of his teammate in Paddle Award? Paddle had a great season last year, but Rosenquist was kind of, uh, you know, off to the wayside. Of course, it had that injury after crashing hard at Detroit. Does he uh, go out and, uh, perform better, uh, relative to his teammate. Um, maybe kind of what we thought we saw from him in, uh, 2019, but a little bit better than that. Uh, we'll have to see. Um, yeah, and I think also Renus VK is another guy, I think, um, maybe step it up next year because did win, uh, one race at the road course in Indianapolis and then, um, missed road America due to his injury, uh, bicycling, um, and had kind of a good season up to that. And then after that, uh, kind of fell off the map there. So, come back healthy this year does he kind of match the results that he was kind of trending towards at the beginning uh of 2020 up until uh the midpoint when miss road america due to that uh cycling accident so yeah there's a lot of drivers that definitely need to step it up uh and whether it actually happens is uh remains to be seen and we'll have plenty of time to think about it and look at it there will be preseason testing here coming i think about six weeks time around the time Super Bowl happens or post Super Bowl around when the Daytona 500 will be happening. So uh, a lot of time to think about it for sure. Um, I mean, this IndyCar season was a great season. How do you go and top that? I don't know, but it's the IndyCars Um, and they'll be on regular TV more times than they have in in a long time. So there won't be an excuse to not be able to see it. Um, Will the ratings fit that? I hope so. Um, because I don't know who else is really going to show the IndyCar series. Um, it ain't going to be Fox. I don't think ESPN ABC are interested, even though there was a rumor I saw, I think on J-Ski or somewhere, that they're interested in getting NASCAR again, but I don't buy that. Um, they have NHL, they have NFL, they have NBA and MLB. How the hell are you going to go and, and you have MLS um, and other crap. So where the hell are you going to go and put you know, NASCAR, you're not going to give NASCAR the kind of, um, I mean, for whatever NASCAR is, even you're not going to give them the kind of attention that you need to justify it. And you have tons of college sports too. So, yeah, they'd get relegated. And I think even IndyCar, I mean, there's a rumor about them getting relegated to Peacock, uh, streaming only broadcasts for IndyCar. I don't think that's happening, but I think that was on the table. And then, yeah, if NASCAR went back to ESPN, I think you'd start to see a, a good chunk of races get put on ESPN+. On plus. Plus. Yep, and that's that seems to be a thing now. You know, like that's one of the um, perks of one of There's a thing I subscribe to where they were trying to, uh, I forget what package where it was, where 
they're trying to instead of being on the crappy cable uh, option that we have over here in Jersey. I was really interested in it because it was going to give us both ESPN Plus and Disney Plus, which would have been pretty good. But um, yeah, that that's and, yeah, that's available with Hulu, I think, and Disney Plus, ESPN Plus for like yeah. thirteen, fifteen dollars a month, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And that, and then you add that with like Peacock and then a couple other things. And then you basically have TV set and you're able to get most sports um, taken care of, which is something we're going to end up having to look at. I'm going to probably have to look at here uh, soon enough. I'm hoping one day here soon enough I can be on my own. I'll have TV and do my thing in my own place like Josh is. Um, Let's uh, change it up. I know we talked about the rookies. Uh, we talked about all that on the IndyCar side. Let's get in a little bit of uh, news here in the roundup. Uh, you know, going on motorsport.com, Otmar Safnow has uh, left Aston Martin. It was rumored during the end of the year, uh, but it's actually official that he has left Aston Martin, uh, Stroll F1. And there's some news about, of course, Spa's. Uh, reconfiguration changes in regards to Orouge and Radion and other parts of the track in regards to trying to make it uh, uh, certified for a MotoGP race that'll take place later this year, but also to improve the safety after some of the awful wrecks that have taken there taken place there recently. Uh, you have you know one off livery, blah blah blah. Uh, Logan Sargent came out on uh, um, what do you call racer.com in regards to how it came from nowhere and he thought he was going to IndyCar and then next thing you know now he'll be uh, driving for Carlin in Formula 2 this year and is the lead Williams junior driver behind the two uh, drivers Albon and Nicholas Latifi Um, Fernando Alonso is trying to go and sell that um, that he wasn't as much of a dick in 2007, even though he was, and he's still angry about Lewis Hamilton because Lewis Hamilton's better than him, which, I mean, whatever. I mean, if he wants to be mad about the fact that somebody's better than him, that's his choice. I mean, he's made plenty of questionable decisions in his, um, in his, uh, career and Lewis was able to make better, um, decisions, which in part, uh, led to his, uh, ability to go and win all these championships. Uh, going into that, we're supercars, commercials. Okay, so yeah, that that was uh, Formula One. Nothing of major, uh, nothing major really came up in Formula One. I'm just gonna go and move over here. Yeah, other than the Otmar Safnow uh, uh, announcement, we got some other things. Yeah, they're. Logan Sargent, roller coaster for Alpine, and a lot of IMSA stuff, which we're going to get into in a moment. Um, yeah, the uh, format, I'm pretty sure more stuff will come up as we get closer to uh, the, the preseason tests. In regards to NASCAR, there's been a few things. I know, uh, Josh, you know, you pay attention to it. Um, uh, I guess we'll lead with this. Since we're on peak, we're right on the anniversary of a horrible event. We did a show the day of. Um, it's a one-year anniversary of the um, insurrection, and um, fitting in lieu of the insurrection, uh, Brandon Brown, who got sucked into 
um, insurrection talk in a sense, not, you know, willingly after winning his first race at Talladega in the Xfinity series because of a bunch of inbreds, um, domestic, um, whatever the hell you want to call them, a domestic terrorist, um, yelling a, a slur towards the president of the United States uh, and Kelly Stavis basically napalming her own career in the process. There was a, a Bitcoin or crypto yeah, it's a cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency uh, gimmick that came out that was going to be Brandon Brown's sponsor, but uh, NASCAR uh, vetoed it, I guess. Um, they vetoed, they usually veto sponsors for smaller teams in general because this is kind of like yeah. grabbing at straws. Uh, one of my friends on uh, Twitter talked about because he works for Carlong's team and they yeah, talked Veed about works. a weed sp- yeah weed works yeah yeah Sebastian I that. yeah so um uh so it's the same thing here in a sense but I mean it speaks to the greater issue there um you know they want to talk about politics I mean that's it's a you're willing to let certain people run you know basically an ad for their campaign if they run on one side of the aisle, but if the other side of the aisle wanted to do that, they won't do that. Um, they want to be mad about one side or they want to come up in certain segments of our society want to be mad at a certain driver uh, because they're too stupid to read the room um, and understand basic premises of society. But I could go on a tangent with that. I'm not trying to do that. It's 2022. Um, I'm off one of my blood pressure meds. I'm not going to go and increase it because of the stupidity of what amounts to maybe 20% of our society. Uh, but, you know, like that sponsor, whatever happened with that. And then there's a picture on Insta or somewhere about a certain driver that doesn't have a job anymore, um, posing with, uh, with, with guns and ammo to make up for the fact he has a small penis and doesn't have a ride and won't have a ride. It kind of speaks to where we are in NASCAR uh, these days when that's, where we're at when we're having to get fake crypto sponsors and inbred people who want to be in um well, what's the asshole that's on uh, door bumper clear that blocks everybody oh um, uh spotter brett brett griffin. brett griffin yeah yeah he wants to be in brett griffin's good graces or something so he can get his balls licked or something yeah i um, i don't know man i mean yeah the the sponsorship i mean itself um i mean the validity of the coin is dubious i mean you saw the value of it um and i mean i didn't really look into the technical details i mean i'm a little bit more um i'm not gonna say i'm a little bit more well-versed in cryptocurrency is a i mean i i have some but very little and everything and i'm still trying to understand it myself but you know there's a lot of um you know the volume of it how much how much of it is and and stuff um and of course some um, cryptocurrency kind of hangs on the belief in the the currency that's why uh bitcoin is so high and that's you know why other you know dogecoin rose last year and uh you know now it's almost worthless again so um you know all that ups and downs is up kind of the same thing with the real stock market uh and everything but yeah i mean as far as that goes the monetary of it i mean would it would it have lasted full season i mean sounds like it would kind of be a scam or may have only lasted for one or two races or something like that so um you know that's part of it the messaging part of it of course yeah it's referencing the let's go brandon meme and all that stuff but um i mean yeah nascar trying to announce that they're banning political sponsorships and i mean it seems like they're going to limit to um 
political activated commit or PAC um, related sponsorships, which I guess maybe this was part of that or something. Uh, I'm not sure, but I mean, I kind of, there's, that's the fine line to go down because I mean, there's a lot of sponsors that you could um, go on the political spectrum that could, you know, have ties. I mean, we have the Bass Pro, Pro Shops NRA race and, you know, the NRA, I mean, they're a activist organization for the second amendment and, you know, that's a, and gun rates and all that stuff. And, um, you know, what are they going to ban that part of the race sponsorship? And I mean, I did see something earlier, I, cause I have that legitimate question and I looked at that online and I guess, I don't know, I guess they removed the NRA part from the race title, um, in the logo. If you go Google it right now, um, it looks like it just says bash pro shops, NRA night or well, Bass Pro Shops Night Race at Bristol or something like that. So um not sure. I tried to look up, see if there was like some kind of announcement, but there wasn't. So I'm not not quite sure, not 100%. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, fine lines that you go with that. And, um, you know, the direction of, I mean, if it's just specific to this um, thing, which you know, was a funny joke for two weeks and now it's not, you know, not as funny anymore. And certainly it's an exercise in linguistics, linguistics and how uh, language changes and all that stuff. But, um, you know, there's, this uh political or well nascar's policy i mean could could be problematic we'll see what it you know what ends up happening of course and you know they've uh done a lot of things uh in the past of course and you know, like you said with uh, respect to small teams you know veedverks getting revoked from carl long's team and you know they're you know not comfortable having a weed sponsorship you know this was like what four or five years ago and now uh, of course, now it seems to be coming along now in 2022. You know, most states now have it legal and still illegal on the federal level, but you know that's uh, part of it. And then, you know, of course, uh, you know, it goes back to debating the the meme itself and everything, and you know, fans online trying to defend Kelly Stavis and stuff. I mean, she's yet to say anything about um, her role in this, and uh, as far as I know, and I mean, I think you know, she has to answer for it at some point, you know, has to at least provide some accountability for it and everything. And, um, would like to at least, you know, see what, cause I feel like, you know, definitely responsible for it. And, you know, in the interview, he's like, Oh, let's go me or whatever. He said the word, let's go several times. And I'm sure that's part of it and everything. And, you know, it was a quick thinking move or whatever, but, um, you know, still, you know, Kelly Savis, where you at, you know, say, say your piece or whatever, you know, don't, don't just leave us hanging, give us some explanation on that one. You know, we all like to know, um, you know, whether you're a political writer or a sports fan or whatever. So, um, because it obviously it sparked something. And then of course, as for Brandon Brown, I'm sure, sure. You know, he probably, I mean, obviously he's leaning into it and everything and, um, which I guess he doesn't really have any choice or whatever, but sure. More validity or valid sponsor to go with would probably be my pillow or something like that. I mean, that ran, they ran a, a, a cell or sale code, like the, the night that happened. So uh, with 10% off for their pillows with the code word Brandon or something. So um, yeah, that would have been easy money there for Mr. Brown if he wanted to go that route, but yeah, uh, we'll see what happens with the uh, sponsorship policy with NASCAR and everything and um, how they decide to enforce it. Cause you do have a lot of issue with that. Yeah, they don't, they're consistently inconsistent with that, but when it comes to this deal, whether they got hoodwinked or whatever in regards to how it worked out, and you're not nipping that in the bud, but you know, the Brandon Brown's going to be a martyr in this spot. Um, but dude basically has no sponsors anyway. Um, uh, now it's like 
I felt bad for Brandon Brown after initially, but this sponsorship and whatever basically speaks to like desperation because now there's so many. I mean, for what the Xfinity series and truck series, truck series basically dead again, but um, the Xfinity series is somewhat deep, even though Gibbs, uh, I think only really has two cars, uh, Jade, whatever, Junior Motorsports has four cars. And I figure all of them are going to make it. Um, there's only one Ford that's going to run full time that has from a big team. I think Ryan Sieg's yeah, in there. Ryan Sieg and the 98, right? The 98. But yeah, and Riley Herbst has to make the playoff. I mean, it, the the math really speaks to the fact that Brandon Brown would be basically backing into the playoff if he made it. I think Jeremy Clements' team is a better team. You could kind of get into some of the. Other smaller efforts. I mean, now that um, you add the fact that uh, what's his name, Landon Castles, now at Colleague, all three of those cars are going to make the playoff, and then you have four Junior Motorsports cars, so that's that's seven. You add the Stuart Oscar eight, um, and then two JGR cars with Ty Gibbs and Brockshot Jones. That's ten. So best case scenario, you have a chance of two spots amongst, I don't know how many drivers and teams that are going to run the whole year and really going to be somewhat competitive. So I guess it's it was a PR grab. Um, we'll see what happens with Brandon Brown. On better news or more positive news, I guess, uh, depending on who you are in regards to maggot morons, um, Noah Gagson has a new crew chief, Luke Lambert, is moving down uh, from Cup to Xfinity. He will be the crew chief for the number nine car that has won uh, multiple Xfinity championships prior to Gagson with Dave Allens. Dave Allens moved up to be the crew chief of the 43 car, which is now Petty GMS in the Cup Series with Eric Jones. Uh, then Drew Blickensdurfer somehow or another uh, got a job at a big team again, somehow. Uh, Mike Bogoravich got promoted to a director of like uh, performance, something performance director, uh, probably because he was Tony's last crew chief and he has an engineering background. Um so in turn, Al Marola needed a new crew chief. And uh, instead of moving Boswell up to, you know, Briscoe's car and then moving whatever Klossmeyer back to the 10 car, which would have made most, more sense in my opinion, they're going to bring uh, Drew Blickensdurfer over from the 34 team. And he'll be back with Eric Al Marola, who they worked together for like a year and change uh, at the Petty team. They had a chance at the playoff. I, I remember one of them years, uh, they had a chance that made back to wing into the playoff in the 43 car. But, yeah, 2015. Um, yeah, or, I, I don't know if he was, yeah. Let me look at this just to confirm. Uh, uh, Drew. Drew comes in front of yeah, the last few races of 16 and then all of 17. Okay, so yeah, so he wasn't the crew chief then. But um, Bugaravich moves over to the 10 car, gets into a pseudo playoff uh, role there. Um, of course, um, Eric Almirola won at New Hampshire last year with Mike Bugaravich, and um, you would assume would be a factor for a playoff spot theoretically if Stuart Haas comes correct uh this year um those are two crew chief announcements 
um, the Lidos is back with Bubba Wallace at the the twenty twenty three eleven team. So that's um, that was a bit of news there. You have um, Joey Gase and Patrick Emerling, the modified driver who's been running more Xfinity races. They're going to join together uh, to run a two car effort, one full time, one part time. Bailey Curry is going to move back from the uh, Mike Harmon team to JD Motorsports. And of course, the Nashville uh, Speedway Motorsports acquired Dover Motorsports, so they remove races. TJ Majors will be Brandon Brown's uh, spotter. Um, and then in trucks, we have a lot more that has to come through. Uh, I'm sure we'll see more in the next month, month and a half prior to the truck series opener. Uh, Rolex 24, uh, there's a lot of announcements. You want to go in the websites that are out there. You can go and kind of get updates. There's a, The field is becoming very deep in regards to the GTD Pro Class and the GTD AM category. Uh, there's uh, Paul Miller Racing, the New Jersey-based dealership uh, guy, will be uh, running a BMW. They've, they were Audi. Paul Miller Audi has been a big dealership here for a long time. Uh, they ran a Lamborghini for many years with their combination of Brian Sellers and Madison Snow. Now they're going to run a BMW um, M4 uh, GT3 uh, with the ridiculous, ridiculous nose. Uh, starting at the uh, 12 hours of Sebring. Uh, there's a lot of yeah, weather tech. Racing is going to run two GTD Pro cars, one with a one portion, one Mercedes. I mean, that's uh, that was some news during the last week. Uh, PR1 Matheson will be running two car LMP2 uh, situation. AXR uh, running the Jimmy Johnson 48 car. And they're going to get, um, they keep Kamui Kobayashi, uh, Mike Rockenfeller, and Jose Maria Lopez will come in to replace Simon Pagano. So two of the Toyota drivers, Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez, and uh, Rocky, the longtime Porsche and Audi driver who's won Le Mans and won all kinds of big races. So they'll be a factor at uh, all the endurance cup races for sure. You know, Jimmy dovetailing his full-time IndyCar uh, scenario with uh, the uh, IMSA deal there. You know, Chili Bowl, there was uh, some announcements here in regards to the Viroc. We'll talk about that next week, uh, who wins a race of champions, because I think whoever wins a race of champions uh, gets into the Chili Bowl, uh, Buddy Kofoid talking about him who won the IMSA or the the um, midget title, USAC midget title last year in his third start at the Chili Bowl, trying to go and make it and win. Um, going through uh, some of the other news came through in regards to um, yeah, the, the Viroc, just to go through in regards to the drivers who are going to be running it this year. Uh, Blake Hahn, who won the ASCS uh, Tour, Brad Sweet, the World of Outlaws champion. Brady Bacon won the US, USAC Sprint Car Championship. Bryant Weidman, the Power Eye National Midget Champ. Brody Kofoid, the USAC National Midget Champ. After uh, suffering injuries in a late model on pavement, 
and breaking his wrist and stuff, he was still able to come back and win the midget title in USAC. Cannon McIntosh won last year's Monday um, the feature. Chad Boat, a former winner of the Viroc on 2018, and his wife uh, hosts Door Bumper Clear. Uh, Chase Elliott got included based on whatever promoter's option as the 2020 NASCAR champion. Um, Christopher Bell, the three-time uh, Chili Bowl champion. Uh, Darren Pittman. Uh, Darren Pittman is the runner-up in 2017. Uh, a former World of Outlaws champion. Justin Grant won a preliminary night last year. Larson's won the last two years of the Chili Bowl. Rico Abreu was the runner-up last year in a Viroc and a two-time Chili Bowl champion, which they didn't add into the press release here on Speedsport. Um, Sammy Swindell was included on the promoter's option as a five-time Chili Bowl champion, the all-time leader. Uh, his son was second with four. And he had, but I think, four consecutive, too. Uh, Spencer Baston and Tanner Thorson finished third in the main event, the Chili Bowl itself. Tim McCready, the uh, current defending Lucas Oil late model champion and former Chili Bowl champion before he, or after, before that, the injuries that kind of set him back. He had a trek to try to go down south to NASCAR running for Richard Childress, and that injury set him back. Tyler Courtney, the all-star circuit of champions champion, uh, Tony Stewart's uh, all-star circuit of champions and now um, he's run well in midgets and all that so uh, that'll be the uh, uh, Monday uh, Viroc uh, field which is very deep of course Tony there's other guys that don't run anymore uh, smokes a two-time winner of this race um, but he'll be working on the track or doing whatever we're probably eating out uh, Leah, but um, we'll see what happens next week. We'll kind of get into the two nights and uh, the Viroc and everything um, when it comes to the Chili Bowl. Uh, the Dakar Rally is going on right now, and uh, Nasser Alatia driving for Toyota um, was able to increase his lead. And that's not what I wanted to do. I want to go over there. Um, that's... That's in Fran French. I don't know why it's in French. Uh, it should have been in uh, English. That'd be good. Yeah. Burita and Alatia's. Yeah, close that. Trophy case keep growing. <laughs> outline. I don't need the outline. I just need the results. So after stage four... Um, I mean, during the bike category, saw Joanne Barita Bort and Pavo Quintanilla for the Monster Energy Honda team finish first and second in the stage. Regan Calvez, Lorenzo Santolino, and Luciano Benavides is the top five. Sam Sunderland, uh, sixth. Ricky Brabeck uh, was 10th. He took a two hour penalty along with a 13 minute gap. Intense, so he's basically knocked out of any chance to win. Um, I don't know who any of those people are. Uh, ranking the quad rankings, I'm trying to see the USA Pablo Capetti finished fourth uh, in today's stage and um, ranking really two. What does that mean? I don't understand. Okay, that's ranking, blah blah blah. 
Then in the car category, Nasralatia is the won the stage over Sebastian Loeb by 25 seconds. Uh, Carlos Sainz finished third, uh, 52 seconds behind. Uh, just Yazid Al-Rahi got a two-hour penalty along with Bernard Tenbrink, the former winner of this race, two-hour bra- uh, two-hour penalty. So they knocked themselves out of the um, general, general classification. Uh, Nasser Altia is up by 38 minutes on Sebastian Loeb and uh, 53 minutes on nearly 54 minutes on Lucio Alvarez. In the bike category, Sam Sunderland is three minutes ahead of Matthias Walkner and 4.54 ahead of Adrian Van Beverlin. Uh, so Gas Gas, KTM, Yamaha, top three, Gas Gas, and Sherco, top five. American Skylar Howes for Husqvarna is 15 minutes behind in eighth. Rick Andrew Short is 12th, 38 minutes behind. Matt Mason Klein, a rookie in American, 40 minutes Toby Price, former winner of this race, 43-36. Ricky Brabeck's in 18th with uh, 54, nearly 55 minutes and a two-hour penalty uh, going into the next stage after four stages there. We'll get more into the race because it's a two-week rally. We'll see where everything is as we move forward. Uh, I'll let you go, Josh, in regards to your Jaguars and what they're going to be doing or what the fans will be doing at uh, whatever I, I always remember is like Altel Stadium. But at TIA Bank Field. Yeah, so TIA Bank Field. They had the Gator Bowl there where Rutgers got annually annihilated by um, Wake Forest on short practice, but they made a bowl game, whatever it's worth. Uh, but you have more problems to worry about in regards to your team after the last few weeks that you guys have had and how bad that your GM is, which I already know because he was a Niners GM. And uh, by the time he was done, the Niners might have had the best or the worst roster, um, worst uh, roster in all of the NFL. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the whole thing is uh, basically trying to get attention to the Jaguars. I mean, what, what this is, is a bunch of Jaguars fans have decided to um, change their profile pictures on Twitter and they've uh, changed it to a clown picture, Photoshop with a mustache on top of it, you know, signifying shot. Well, they're not trying to say shot Khan is a clown himself, but many of the moves that he have made are very clownish, um, you know, with um, the moves that they made over the years. And of course uh, the biggest one of yet, you know, signing Urban Meyer saying, yeah, this time I got it right. And then 11 months later, uh, having to fire him and uh, end, end his uh, tenure, at, you know, 13 games in. And they, you know, brought in Chint Balke in 2020 and then promoted him to interim general manager and then general manager in 2021 and proceeded to basically, uh, yeah, destroy the Jaguars roster as well. Uh, you combine him and, uh, Urban Meyer together, and then you know, without somebody above them to oversee, uh, besides Shot Khan, I mean, they they point fingers at each other, and that's you know what led to the leaks. Urban, uh, you know, all the stuff that um, we heard about Urban most likely came from uh, from Trent Balky, most likely, and it seems like that's probably one of the things that uh, he did while he was in San Francisco. Constantly. Yeah, that's how Jim Harbaugh yeah. got yeah. fired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh got fired then, and 
Yeah, speaking of Jim, I mean, apparently he might he might come back to the NFL. I don't know. And then somebody's like, "Oh, let him come to the Jaguars." And no, well, that'll get Trent Balky out of there because they're already enemies and everything. But yeah, I mean, uh, your team it, would be immediately better. Yeah, I mean, immediately. I'm, and and I think he'd really work well with Trent. Or I mean, with uh, Trevor Lawrence because he wants to be a guy that actually is a quarterback, um, you know, guru guy. To be fair after what he happened to him in his career as an NFL player. And I think he'd be the perfect guy to work with Trevor Lawrence. And the reality is when he was with San Francisco, he didn't have great wide receiver talent anywhere. Their best receiver was Vernon Davis. Davis's bitch ass, but it was basically about Frank Gore and the run game and run blocking um, until Colin came around. Um, then they had more of a deep passing game, but you can go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Oh yeah. I mean, it's uh, a lot of similarities in, in it. I mean, with Balky, uh this year, uh, they didn't sign, they, you know, they didn't sign enough wide receiver. Well, they signed a lot of uh, role players and then paid them a starter money. And then they overpaid a bunch of guys. Um, they, I mean, they spent a lot of money and, you know, uh, went and paid a bunch of role players and then just bought a bunch of guys off the street. Like Davon Austin somehow has a, a role as the slot receiver punt returner on the team. Um, you know, basically DJ shark went down and then the entire wide receiver position uh, crashed because it um, took Marvin Jones out of his role. Um, he's supposed to be the number two uh, to DJ Tark. And that's kind of his career's flourished as a number two receiver that kind of benefits from, you know, other teams taking away the number one. And so that messed up his role in the team. Uh, LaVisca Chenault gets put into the slot receiver uh, or outside receiver position. I mean, we got to see, I mean, the only benefit is we got to see uh, what's his, what's his name? Jamal Agnew as the punt, uh, punt returner, kick returner, and then became a weapon on offense as wide receiver for a bit until he got injured. But of course, you know, they paid him a lot of money um, and they didn't have to. And it's kind of an accident that he became a thing. Uh, you know, we liked what he did is like, well, um, he's not supposed to be the guy, uh, to do this. And, you know, they picked Travis Etienne, uh, basically he was going to have the same role that, uh, Agnew had on the offense. And then, um, you know, kind of defeats the purpose of even drafting a running back when they probably had other needs. Um, it's part of the regime that drafted CJ Henderson. And so, yeah, Trent Balky just made a lot of decisions that weakened the team. Um, you know, they, uh, didn't do it enough uh, in, in free agency to sign the bright players. They didn't, you know, draft beyond Trevor Lawrence uh, and second round pick Tyson Campbell. They did nothing uh, to better the team. And uh, 2020 Jaguars were, even though they only, only won one game, they were pretty competitive for the most part um, until they got overmatched. Um, but this team somehow got worse, even though they have one more win. Uh, so, you know, technically they doubled the wins that they had from 2020, but were somehow managed to be a worse team. But I mean, it goes beyond Champ Alki. I mean, the amount of moves Shotcon's made in 10 years of ownership, um, just keeping, keeping guys too long, never fully cleaning house um, when they needed to. Um, they, they kept Gus Bradley probably a year or two long. They kept Blake Bortles a long time uh, when probably should have let go of him, kept Tom Coughlin when they uh, should have let go of him. Um, hired Tom Coughlin. That was a bad mistake in the first place. So uh, shouldn't have happened. Uh, I mean, the, is the right idea, 
but they hired the wrong guy to do it. And that's, that's the whole thing is just, yeah, a bunch of mistakes. And then of course, I mean, you know, b- before this year is just typical mistakes of an NFL team, um, just cluelessness, but now it gets, gets basically turned up to 11 with the amount of mistakes that and immaturity that urban Meyer displayed in one year of being the coach less than one year of being the coach and then combined with the moves, uh, uh, and plus, you know, a lot of eyes on the Jaguars supposed to be for Trevor Lawrence and then make Trevor Lawrence, um, not, not necessarily a bad quarterback, but just didn't have nearly the season. People thought that he would being the number one overall pick and having a lot of expectations and all that stuff. So just combined with all of that, just a, a disaster. And that's why their Jaguars fans change their profile picture to the clown face on Twitter and flood the Jaguars mentions with uh, that. And everybody did it and just kept spamming on that and you know the jaguars eventually for their live stream broadcast they had to take down commenting on it because that's what everybody was doing uh because you know um and everything and all that stuff uh now it's got the attention of national media of course jaguars i mean it had been a thing for it's been a thing for almost two weeks now and uh jaguars media picked up on it and then picked up on national media said uh pat mcafee talking about it earlier uh, in the week. And yeah, talked about that. Um, so now it's got a lot of attention. AP has covered it and everything. So, um, I, I think, and even within a day, I think or, or two, I think, um, the guy that created it, uh, said, yeah, cause he's an insider. This guy's name is, uh, well, so the, giving insight into the Jaguars fan base, yeah, there's this guy on Twitter named E underscore Dilla who goes around and, and, uh, he, he knows people in the building and they get basically they leak, not say leak news, but they give him information before even the, the journalists and everything, uh, are on it. So he's basically the insider guy and he's just a guy that works at target in Jacksonville, uh, in the St. John's town center. And he somehow is able to break news before everybody else. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's a, yeah, he's probably one of the more unique fans in the NFL and he's just a regular guy that just does it just for fun. Um, he's a cult cult figure here. He's got all the fresh scoops. And we got, I got a t-shirt of this guy. Like, like we, the, the, the fan base, like the organization, this group called bold city brigade. Uh, they've got like a, a clothing arm called, uh, DT, DTWD originals. And they got, it's all the Jags merch. It's actually good original, uh, clothing. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm trying not to advertise, but I, I guess I kind of, I'm, t- I'm trying to explain my position here, but, um, um, you know, with the way it is there, they had a shirt last year and it's basically, they, they, they took this guy's name Dilla and, um, Photoshopped it, uh, into the Briars logo for ice cream, Dilla's fresh scoops instead of Briars ice cream. So yeah, it's, um, is a, it's a funny thing. And yeah, like he was the guy. Um, and one of their other friends uh, started that up. Everybody's done it. I actually did not change my thing. But that's because I just have, that's my principle not to, you know, I'm, if I'm going to change it, it's going to be because of me, not to, just to do it for a meme and everything. But um, pretty much every Jags fan on Twitter is doing it. And now they're going to go to the final game uh, of the season against the Indianapolis Colts and the whole section. And because they all sit in section 124, which is the um, north end zone in the Jaguars stadium. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's the end zone. Um, facing way. If you see on the TV, they have one end zone has the Bud Light party zone or whatever it's called. And then on the other side is the, where the pools are. So it's the side that has the pools on the stadium and uh, they, they will all wear clown faces with the mustache on it. Um, and it's going to get the attention it already has of all the, all the teams or of all the team, you know, um, organization. And certainly this is, you know, a move to pressure shot con into firing Trent bulky, hiring somebody else. That's good. They need to hire a, 
football operations vice president like they did with Tom Coughlin, but somebody that actually has um, football organization, um, you know, stuff, but experience, you know, someone who has executive experience and not just because clearly it was the wrong idea to hire Tom Coughlin, who was a coach when he had the GM role in Jacksonville because he had coach GM powers and coach good, but GM stuff, not so good. Ended up messing up the salary cap 2001, 2002 season. Um, that led to him being let go because uh, they, um, you know, got wrecked by the salary cap and all that stuff, uh, overpaying guys and all that stuff. So clearly it was the wrong move in 2017 to get this guy. Uh, so they need to make the same move again, but someone who actually has experience in uh, executive experience and actually building a winning organization. So we'll see what it happens. 10 years of ownership, Shotgun uh, has not you know, made the right move uh, right now, got little faith that he's going to actually make the right move again. I mean, uh, hiring Chip Balky is a start, but you got to actually make a good hire after that and um, not confident he'll be able to do that. So we'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll have the clown face thing in spirit. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and I'm hoping that I won't have a clown face uh, after the fantasy football year I had where I was defending a championship in one league and had bad luck most of the year and didn't even make the playoff finished seventh and outscored most of the teams last week i think including the team that won the championship and then in my league where vic uh after making 130 something moves uh ends up winning um that's mainly because he's married um and he has no life it seems outside of that uh beat wilson in that and then i end up finishing fifth you ended up finishing third uh so interestingly you somehow or another dropped a position this year even but to be fair uh i've been using the to be fair um acronym way too much or to be honest um your team was up there we were the top four teams wilson's team was up there most of the year then vic took off um and then your team and mine were the four best teams in this league. I had the second most points for, I think I had the most points against. Finished fifth, um, you finished third, so you finished second and third. That's a great, your your run and your trajectory hopefully isn't the trajectory that happened to Professor Jay, because that's what he was doing <laughs> in the early years. Oh. In the early years of the league, um, I mean, Professor Jay is really, he's a really good player, but when you consider all the shit he's dealing with right now, um and he has a great podcast uh, i've got your five stars podcast it's indie wrestling um he's an absolute beast a uh, great father great teacher at middlesex college here in edison um uh, speech and communications but um his year was bad and then in the playoff he actually uh, passed a couple teams so for as bad as it went off for him he still got ahead of uh, my bowling buddies, uh, Demi, who got the vid again, and uh, Nikki, um, who doesn't really care because he's 17, he's getting laid, and uh, he gets paid more than I do somehow or another as a waiter. Uh, but, uh, I mean, as in getting into this week, the Niners, after Trey uh, had a great second half of that game, uh, Shani basically admitted he doesn't know how to call plays for Trey Lance, which is a pretty weak um, uh, admission when you consider you've been a coach for all these years. Um, it makes sense why he calls the stupid Robert Griffin uh, plays that he does to try to get Trey killed. 
because he doesn't know how to call plays. If you're supposed to be a guy, you make five, six million dollars a year and you've had this job for five years and you can't call fucking plays for a quarterback. What the fuck? Um, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback on Sunday. It's a must win scenario. The Rams are going to make the playoffs either way. The narrative is, oh, the Niners have their number. The Rams have played like shit. At least Stafford's played like shit for like two, three weeks in a row. And Cooper Cup and Sony Michelle saved them and their defense. If the Niners give up, you know, like if they're able, if they don't show up here in this spot, uh, they take an L, they're going to miss the playoffs. And to me, it's criminal. Uh, but I mean, frankly, the Tennessee game is what will stand out. Uh, Jimmy didn't even have a healthy right thumb. Already had thrown one interception through another interception, which led to a touchdown. Then they gave up the big drive late. Um, the Tennessee game stands out, but they got smoked by Indianapolis at home on Sunday Night Football. They lost uh, to A.A. Ron uh, week two or three on Sunday Night Football. Um, they lost twice to the fucking Seahawks. And they suck. They lost twice to Arizona Cardinals, and they're not that good. Um, I mean, you could split. That's why I say I'm like those six, the six games, the two games in the AFC South, the and then the four games in division. Split those in half. You literally win. You split with the two divisional rivals. We're already locked in the playoffs. You win one game against Seattle. We're in the playoffs. You win one game against Arizona when they had. God damn Colt McCoy, you're in the playoffs. Now we're in a spot where Trey might have to get us in the playoffs. And if he does, fuck Jimmy Garoppolo, go with Trey, let's see what happens. I don't care. In the end, who are you going to play? You're going to be the sixth seed. So you're going to be uh, playing, what, Tampa? I mean, get wrecked. <laughs> probably. I mean, it's likely, but, you know, their defense isn't very good. Uh, Tampa's defense is not very good this year. Uh, Brady needed a fucking miracle and um mr clean and that offense at the end of that game against the jets just to give that game away they tried to run it on uh, run a quarterback sneak on fourth and two in the red zone to put the game away and I'm like you don't have the push their interior line is too good throw the ball over the top do an rpo give them the option to run a freaking naked bootleg whatever i mean anything you know it, you you got to give them a better option in that spot uh tampa could have lost to the jets which would have been hilarious I mean, people are talking more about Antonio Brown losing his mind, uh, but Tampa almost lost that game, and that's kind of scary. Um, the Cowboys are not scary at all. Um, neither of the teams that are gonna that are in contention for this division, the West, NFC West, are scary. So my thing is, you know, the Eagles are in there; they're not that good. Um, one of those teams are gonna the West teams is gonna be the five seed. They're meh. And Niners are mad too, but you can win one game, uh, possibly, depending on who you play. And you don't know what's going to happen in the second round. You might end up having to go and play Aaron, but winning in Lambeau uh, has been easier since 2002. So stranger things have happened, though I don't want, I don't think anyone wants to play Aaron. Uh, he's motivated uh, to win the Super Bowl. He may or may not win the MVP, but. Um, he's definitely motivated to win another Super Bowl, um, whether he retires after that or goes to Pittsburgh or goes to any number of other teams to be determined. But um, I'm just hoping the Niners actually show up on Sunday and win. 
against the Rams and gives themselves a shot uh, because I'm sick and tired of the Niners not making the playoffs. And um, I didn't win in fantasy football, so I can't even compensate one for the other. Yeah. I will say on the Jaguars, if I believe if they do lose this Sunday to the Colts, which probably likely they will eliminate the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we get to deny Ben Roethlisberger a run at the Super Bowl one last time because we did it in 2007 and we did it in 2017. So, you know, um, if you know the Jaguars and the Steelers, they go back to the 90s. They had a, a, a had a good rivalry in the AFC Central from yep. 95 to 01. Um, and I think they're the true rivals, not the Tennessee Titans. The Jag- the Steelers are the true rivals of the Jaguars. So I will take that uh, away this season as long as that happens. Deny the Steelers a chance. Sorry uh, to – uh, Demi, sorry to um, Manny, Manny, the uh, resident Steelers fans in the league, but you know, gotta um, deny the Steelers a chance to go to the playoffs one last time with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I'm sure that's gonna happen because I yeah. think Trevor is gonna throw two picks, um, uh, at a minimum, and well, um, Taylor's gonna run all over us. It doesn't yeah, matter. yeah, and Jonathan Taylor's who is gonna win the a rushing title this year and probably be the de facto number one pick in fantasy football next year. Um, even though there's really no way that he can repeat what the hell he's done this year, but um, that's for somebody else to deal with because I won't be the number one pick. Um, thankfully, um, I may be the number one pick uh, in the other league and that's probably part of the reason why I missed playoffs. Um we have the number one pick in our dynasty league. Vic and I are in a uh, dynasty or not dynasty, a, a keeper league. So we have the number one picks so on the redraft. So that'll be cool. Um, and we have Debo and we have Jonathan Taylor. Or I drafted Debo, Jonathan Taylor. And um, once I gave up and I got fed up with it and called Vic in to co-manage, he made a bunch of moves. So we're not bad off going into next year, but uh, we have some decisions to make in regards to who we're going to have as a third person. Uh, we have Trevor on the team. We have Zach Wilson on our team, along with Dak. Um, so kind of think we're going to keep Dak. Uh, so that'll leave two young guns out there. Uh, I'll let you go, Josh, and talk about the sim side. Uh, what's going on with? Uh, I know there's a big news in regards to iRacing racing and a big uh, uh, pickup for them. Uh, what does that mean in regards to what you can do on the the platform? Well, I think for iRacing, racing, this is pretty significant actually because um, they acquired Monster Games, producer of the NASCAR Heat series, you know the original ones, and then the later ones that were on console. Um, NASCAR Heat Evolution all the way up to NASCAR Heat 5 or whatever was released uh, uh, last year. Um, and then, of course, Motorsports Games this year took over the NASCAR title and uh, produced a garbage NASCAR 21 uh, game. But um, this is an interesting move because now iRacing, previously only exclusive to PC and Mac, if you uh, installed Windows onto your PC and previously on Mac when they were supporting Mac OS, but um, they are now going to be on console potentially if they make a uh, console game, of course, acquiring a console producer. So it's a great way for them to expand their market. Um, they also acquired another studio, but um, significantly for NASCAR, which is a huge portion of iRacing's user base course. That's uh, where a lot of uh, popularity originates from, but iRacing um, 
expanding onto consoles could be significant because they actually make a quality console game. I mean, iRacing is with its faults, but you know, if they make a good console game that is simulation-like, um, and, but has the balance and feel of a you know casual console atmosphere that anybody you know can buy, can race, then be pretty significant. You know, one for the fan base to actually have. A actual quality game for once for the first time in 20 years you know i mean go back to nascar 2005 chase for the cup was probably like the last like really good ea sports game um and i mean thunder 2004 i played that that was my jam back in the day on the ps2 so you know the that's um you know if you can get things like that i mean i talked to friends before when i was you know a kid in school um you know they didn't really pay attention to nascar itself but they played the video games so um or at least played one of the video games so that's um i think significant for you know the fan base in the future you know get the kids involved um also you know even people our age with you know people with you know the next gen console ps5 uh xbox series x and all that stuff um should be interesting if they can get people involved in it and have something of their own on nascar it's actually qual uh you know, quality and you don't have to have a PC. You don't have to buy expensive racing simulator to, of course, that's an option with console now, but you know, with, um, you don't have to go all out and spend thousands of dollars on PC, uh, and on equipment and all that stuff. You can just, you know, as long as you have a PlayStation or an Xbox and you play on that and then, um, you know, race online with other people. And, and if they have a good, good, uh, career mode, good physics model it should go a long way. And, you know, as long as they have a good, uh, online network to be able to support online racing, you know, should be good um, and everything. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, the F1 series is pretty good, although the quality of online racing is not that great, but, you know, it's to be expected with casual users on console and everything, but, you know, um, should be interesting to see where they go. And, you know, as for me uh, this week, you know, with die racing stuff, get back into it after, you know, winter break and all that stuff. Um, uh, probably on the short list is Talladega with the 87 car. Uh, you know, it's always fun in the 87 car, especially, you know, at the plate tracks and all that stuff might do some IndyCar car at road America, possibly if you know, I can get some time, uh, this weekend to do that. Um, maybe the MX five, uh, car, the Mazda MX five car. It's always a fun car, even though it's the base car for road course racing on I racing, it's still fun car to go throw around in the corners and, uh, really drive, um, you know, you really push the limit on that car. Um, uh, a lot of fun in that car. Um, maybe some of the other road racing series as well. seems like there's a lot better road racing content this week, um, than there is on the ovals. Um, think NASCAR series is at Rockingham or something like that. So, uh, the, you know, the, the cup truck and spinning things at Rockingham or something, it's a good track, but I don't have Rockingham. So I have to purchase that. And that's another thing with the console games is, um, you have all the tracks available to you. Um, to start with, you don't have to, it's not downloadable concept like iRacing is. So, uh, we'll see if they're able to keep it that way for the consoles, but yeah, the, you know, being able to, the playability of it uh, is a significant thing too, but, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the sim racing, you know, a lot of big things on the sim racing, you know, for this year, you know, got iRacing, um, 24 hours of Daytona coming up, uh, Daytona 500 iRacing, um, then later in the year, of course, the Indy 500, uh, for on iRacing, all the e-sports, e e-stuff on uh, big events that they're going to put on, you know, hopefully later in the year. Tanner 
you know, gets back on schedule and uh, hosts the Open Wheels 500 and all that stuff. And, you know, by then, hopefully you'll have something to actually make the race uh, this time around and everything's always going to be competitive, but, you know, definitely uh, growing in the IndyCar on the Sim side and everything definitely is probably you know, my favorite car to drive right now uh, for sure. Um, not sure yet if I'm going to, it depends on my schedule, if I'm going to do the iRacing 24 hours Daytona. Um, and you'd like to, but I'd have to find a group of people to do it with online. Um, definitely wouldn't do it on my own. Um, I know people that have done it in the past, but, um, it's, a uh, takes a lot of, it's a, a lot of stuff, a lot of Herculean effort, and then probably have to take off time, uh, from work the next day just to recover, uh, mentally because, uh, I'd be losing a lot of sleep and all that stuff, but you know, the, should, should be an interesting, uh, event regardless. And, um, I think last year there was a, I guess, incident with hosting the race, like I racing, like servers crash or something. So hopefully that doesn't happen again, but we'll see, but yeah, um, sim racing content, uh, will you know, continue to grow 2022 and see where it goes and, um, just, you know, continue to, um, get better on the sim side and be able to, uh, you know, progress, get more wins than in 2021. Absolutely. And we'll go and tune into your uh, Twitch feed that you're going to tell us about here momentarily and see all the racing you do. It'd be cool to see on the sports car side probably would fit with uh, guests that I have to go and see if I can get them on uh, since we're going to be talking about the Rolex 24 here in going on the calendar. Yeah. We're going to be talking about them at the end of the month and three yeah, weeks be talking weeks. about them on my birthday. Actually, if I oh, have yeah. my druthers, if I have my druthers, it'll be on my birthday. We'll be doing the show, uh, January 26th. The birthday is the legendary, uh, Paul Newman who won his class in the Rolex 24 in 1995. Um, with Mark Martin, young Tom Kendall, and Michael Brockman for Roush Racing in a car sponsored by his movie at that point, Nobody's Fool, uh, Mustang, Trans Am car that was in GT1 spec, uh, won their class, uh, which was on a, I think there was a record for Roush winning the GT1 category or winning a class. I don't know how many years in a row it was. And those guys did that. Um, it's also the same birthday as Wayne Gretzky um, and a bunch of other famous people, honestly, but I'm not going to nerd out into how I know all those people that have January 26th birthdays, but a lot of really famous people and this guy who hosts the Grip Strip podcast. Um, but we'll see. We'll see who, what we can do in regards to that, in regards to Rolex 24. It's going to be one of the most uh, competitive, I would think, and deep feels that we've had in a long time. But we'll get into that. But next week, we're going to have Chili Bowl stuff. We're going to update the news of the week. Um, we're going to get into NASCAR uh, recaps, uh, Cup Series, of course. And then we'll see where it goes. It might get in Xfinity and trucks, but um, definitely the Cup Series. We're going to focus on that next week for the um, recap side. Uh, go and connect with somebody that I haven't uh, had on our podcast in a while that we used to do a podcast together. So stay tuned for that. Try to go and really get into the Cup Series and talk about some of the stuff that's coming along with the uh, Gen 7 platform and some of the changes. Of course, Atlanta Motor Speedway, they had testing today and tomorrow. Uh, and what, basically, Wednesday and Thursday, see 
what that track's going to be. They're going to do a bigger test later um, to see what it's like. Uh, Josh, where can we find you uh, on the socials and in general so we can follow you? Yeah, of course, as always, you know, with the Twitch stream, with iRacing and any other gaming decided to, it's uh, Twitch TV slash Sailor 2 and then on the socials, you know, Twitter. I mean, most have to go on Twitter at JP Huffine. Go follow me there and see what I have to say and what I am interested in and all that stuff. Um, you know, the iRacing stuff, we'll see. I'll let you know uh, when I do it this weekend, of course. Still got NFL Week 18, which is weird to say. I don't think it should exist, but it exists. But as I was almost about to say NFL playoffs, but that's not until the following weekend. Still used to NFL playoffs following Week 17, but not for another two weeks. But so we, I guess, yeah, we will have a little bit of time then um, on over the weekend to stream and all that stuff, get back into it. But yeah, I mean, I was going to say like for the playoffs, I mean, probably, you know, stream in between the games or whatever, or, you know, cause obviously I would probably be watching the games because, um, you know, it's football and everything on a watch and all that stuff. But um, yeah, that's where you can watch me on the, on the streams, Twitch TV slash UCLA two, and then uh, Twitter at JP Huffline. And you can follow us. You can follow the Gripster podcast at Gripster pod on Twitter. We're actually getting a few more followers there. Actually. Uh, we're also um, the Gripster podcast is on Apple podcast. Amazon music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora. Um, why am I on the same thing twice? Um, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, tune in basically anywhere you can find a podcast. You can find Gripster podcast and um, you can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. You can find the GSP at philipgmatthew.com, which is a blog site. I'm hoping to start writing again uh, if I get some time and whatever, just in general, um, to go and talk about whatever my thoughts and whatever is going on. Um, so we'll be on there. Uh, we'll be back next week with the Grip Shirt Podcast, episode 94. Uh, second episode of 2022 and hopefully we'll have some better news we'll talk about nascar cup season last year talk about all the news uh chili bowl dakar rolex 24 and then whatever other updates coming on we'll talk about the nfl playoffs uh because we'll have super wild card weekend coming up make some picks there um hopefully niners are in the playoffs or else I'm probably going to be really mad. Um, might be better for ratings, but um, I don't want those ratings. Uh, thank you for listening to Gripshire Podcast. Take care of yourself. Take care of one another uh, during this time. It's really tough and craziness with this variant. Um, everyone's getting it. Um, thanks to Josh. I know we took a couple weeks off for New Year and all that, but glad that we're back on um, doing this deal. It feels right. Uh, feels like what I should be doing on a Wednesday night. Um, and thank you as always. Great content, great you know information, and um, always bringing the knowledge and uh, your uh, sim knowledge, which um, definitely I don't have and I won't have for a while because I don't have the setup. But uh, definitely one day, hopefully, we can race together, maybe in a Rolex. But We'll do that one day, but thanks, Josh. Thanks, everybody who listens to the Gripshire Podcast. I might be on uh, Grid Talk this weekend, depending on what happens for talking about driver rating, but uh, give them a follow. Give George and the whole crew a follow there as well. Um, take care. God bless, and goodbye.